Hello, passengers, and welcome to the Midnight Train, America's second favorite podcast. Probably. <laughs> Probably. Where we bring the dark to light and where history never dies. Also, where listener discretion is always advised. That's right, we tell you right up front that you may hear some things, adult stuff. We'll just put it that way. Yeah. Yeah, adult yeah. things. So, hey, listen, if you're new here, welcome. Hi. And if you're not, guess what? Welcome back. Hey, back. Hey. That's right. We love to make fun of and joke about the creepy and unsolved mysteries of the world, all while attempting to bring you as much information on each topic as possible. And of course, we are a comedy podcast and things can get kind of dark with some of the topics that we discuss. So if you're not into that, listen, no hard feelings. We get it, but give us a try. Right? Right. Right. We appreciate it. I am your host, the conductor of the cryptic, Jonathan Sayer, and with me, of course, back in the co-host chair, it's Logan. Yay. Hello. Yay. Yay. <laughs> so listen for our Patreon um, first class passenger, passengers. I don't know why Sean Connery came out of that one. <laughs> but uh, we've got uh, some cool stuff going on. It's a, And let's just say it's Halloween themed. And if you want to listen, you're going to have to... You're going to have to listen. You're going to have to listen. <laughs> That's right. Listen. Just listen. Listen, Linda. Yes, you're just going to have to listen. So sign up to become a Patreon subscriber, a.k.a. a first-class passenger, where you sit in the finest cars and put your feet up and you have someone rubbing your feet for you and, and bringing you drinks the whole time. No, it's not really like that. Oh, but, but say, like, where the hell's my foot yeah, right, yeah, right yeah. now? <laughs> it, it'd be nice. It'd be nice it would if be it nice. was. Yeah, it'd be super, super super nice if it was like that so anyway do that get over there in uh, the midnight train podcast.com to find out more information about that right right yeah yeah, yeah. i feel i feel good about today's episode oh dude so do I. yeah and listen uh patreon uh members our first class passengers don't forget we've got an amazing halloween spooktacular coming at you oh yeah on october the 25th it's going to be Live, baby. You know what I'm saying. Oh, yeah. Live. Live stream so you can see our beautiful faces. Well, at least one of them. Yours? I was going to say yours. Oh, that okay. works. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, again, uh, make sure to sign up. And, uh, yeah, let's uh, let's just save the rest of the business stuff until the end. Oh, yeah. Put it back in the caboose, baby. That's right. This is going to be pro- a pretty sizable episode, I would say. Oh, yeah. It's going to be a fun one, though. It's a lot to unpack. Yeah. Yeah. And listen, keep an open mind with stuff. We know that there is some stuff going on yes. with the said country that we're discussing today. In fact, who is it? Oh, we're talking about Russia. That's right. We're talking about Russia. This is the motherland. And uh, we are, you know, it's creepy Russia. Yes. So we are going to talk about a little bit about the country and yada, yada. But, yep. you know, and I understand there's some stuff going on right now. But remember, don't blame one person's ish. Correct. For the, and don't blame the entire country for the all one person's ish, I Correct. guess you'd say, right? The country is beautiful. Yeah. One person can kind of spoil it. Right, out. exactly. Like, yeah. you know, people might think the same thing about us over here. So <laughs> I think the same thing about us over here. <laughs> just saying. All right, so let's just save the rest of that to the end. All right? And uh, let's just jump right in. All right. Let's turn down the lights. Adjust our seats. Mm. Grab a drink. Oh, and by the t- uh, today, we're actually drinking uh, because we're going to Russia today. We're drinking some mules. Oh, yeah. Now, not only do we have a Moscow mule, but we also have a Mexican mule. Oh, we do. American mule. Oh, we do. And the one we're drinking right now, a tropical mule. It's so delicious. And it's good. Oh, it's so good. So we hope you guys have yours. All right? So, let's get Russian. Oh, okay. (laughs) Duh. Duh. (laughs) 
<laughs> but first, Daniel. here is a toast to all you beautiful motherfuckers. right so cool well that's you know we're high speeding all the way over to russia man oh look how fast we got here it's a little colder than i expected you know what i mean well it's supposed to be a little cold you know what i mean i mean it is what it is so it's a tit nipple but i mean we get we get we get here fast we did we we got here real fast thanks to the space rope that's right oh Yuri? Oh, don't worry. You'll hear from him, I'm sure. (laughs) So Eastern Europe and Northern Asia are covered by the transcontinental nation of Russia, or the Russian Federation, with an uh, an area of nearly 17,000... No, excuse me, 17,098,246 square kilometers. Okay, for all you smart folk out there. For the rest of us, it's 6,601,670 square miles. It's a big area. It's a lot. It's a lot. A lot. It's very, very, very large. Oh yeah, very large, and one eighth of the planet's habitable landmass. Put that in the <laughs> Jesus. It's so yeah. big. It's, it's so, so big. big. <laughs> it's huge. It is the largest nation in the world. Yeah, big. This is a big place. Very big place. And he wants to make it bigger. <laughs> Why not have? He has enough, don't you think? He can always go bigger. Perhaps guy has a uh, little problem if you know what i mean maybe you are overcompensating is what i'm saying to you you have small wiener <laughs> you know who i'm talking to right <laughs> all right here get out of here all right so uh it has uh, russia has geographical borders and, uh, with 14 nations and spans 11 time zones <laughs> that's just nuts the most in the world tied actually with china yeah. It's pretty cool. It's pretty dope. Yeah. It seems like they're neighbors too, which I think is pretty yeah. interesting that yeah. that happened. Along with two other nations, Russia has a small maritime border with them. With 146 million people, it has the uh, the ninth highest population in the world and is the most populous nation in Europe. Oh, wow. Okay. Moscow, the biggest metropolis um, holy, you know, in Europe, um, serves as both the nation's capital and its largest city. The second largest city in Russia and its cultural hub is St. Petersburg. Kazan, oh boy, Kizhny, Novgorod, Novosibirsk, and Yekaterinburg. Very good. Woo! <laughs> First try, man. That was good. There are uh, a few more of their like more significant cities as well. Okay. Yeah. But think about that too. They've got um, you know, 146 million people there. Mm-hmm. The ninth highest population in the world, yet it's the largest nation in the world. Which I blows my mind because I think we're second largest nation in the world, if I'm not mistaken. 
As far as mass? As far as land mass goes, yeah. Oh, I, I, I think, maybe? I think. Either that or third. I can't remember if, if China beats us out or not. But I know we're damn pretty damn close to being second. But we have twice, almost two and a half times the amount of people in our nation versus theirs. Well, remember, a lot of that is like frozen tundra. It's just like Canada. If you look yeah, at Canada. I, yeah, think, I think Canada's land mass is probably... No, it's probably not bigger than ours. I don't know. We we should probably have... We should probably know these things. I'm going to Google that real quick. That's, that's curious. <laughs> don't tweet us. He's looking at it right now. So the East Slavs emerged as a recognizable group in Europe between the 3rd and 8th century CE. The medieval state of Kavan Rus arose in the uh, 9th century and in 19 or 988 adopted Orthodox Christianity from the Byzantine Empire, right? I was actually way the fuck off. Yeah, well, everyone, you were also wrong about the O-Blood thing, too. We got a, um, uh, a message from a listener that what? told us about the O-Blood thing. Yeah, I, I legitimately Googled that shit. Well, your Google is wrong. In fact, Lame I want to say, and um, it, it, first and foremost, I'm, I'm glad that her transplant worked. She had a kidney transplant, and I just want to say... We're very glad, first of all, that you're here and you're listening. She's a new listener, and she wanted to make sure that you knew that you're an idiot. So Thank you. <laughs> I look in the mirror every day and call myself that, so I appreciate yeah, that. So, no, I just wanted to say that. Anyway, so so what is it then? So, it's Russia. It's Canada. Okay. Then it's China. Okay. Then it's us. Oh, so we're f- oh, fourth. So, we are actually... We technically beat out China, but when only because we throw Alaska in there. But if we don't include Alaska as a... Con- contiguous united states then we are fourth but oh. if we include alaska we're third okay all right yeah uh, where where we are uh, notice how we had to take that because you know who we got that from right oh yeah Ru- russia we got that from russia speaking hey. of i think he uh was talking about getting that back here soon oh, oh. <laughs> you can't have it you can't have everything dude all right <laughs> I'm like a little kid that just gets mad and takes his ball home and then get threatens no like, he's the kind of he's the kind of kid who sees that another kid's playing with his toy and then wants to take it back because that kid's playing with it now that's that's all he wants to do right it's mine didn't want it before no but see someone else playing with it now wants it anyway yeah. all right no more bashing all right well yeah right <laughs> <laughs> i was gonna say okay this is a long ass but episode. to the people of russia we love you okay and i do know that we actually have quite a few russian listeners we so do it's pretty awesome yeah, hopefully yeah. we did you guys a service with this episode. Yeah, so ho- well, hopefully. <laughs> I guess we'll find out. Big word. So Rus is uh, ultimately disintegrated, or Rus, okay, with the Grand Duchy of Moscow growing to, it could be Duchy. Pass the Duchy on the left, 10 second number third. No, it's probably not that. Well, you were just watching Scooby Doo yesterday with Ava. <laughs> nice. Uh, of Moscow growing to become the, uh, the Tsardom of Russia. Okay, by the I used to always think that that was Tsar. Tsar, yeah, he's a Tsar. He must be cool. <laughs> they usually have a couple of knights. Nobody, every knights, yeah. They walk around with the knights with their knives <laughs> and their comb. <laughs> um, by the early 18th century, uh, um, Russia had vastly expanded through uh, conquest, annexation, and exploration to become the Russian Empire, the third largest empire in history, mind you. Okay, it's like you get the Roman Romans, and you know, and then right along them, you got the Russians. Yeah, it's pretty awesome, pretty dope. The monarchy was abolished following the Russian Revolution in 1917, and the Russian SFSR became the world's first constitutionally socialist state. Following a civil war, the Russian SFSR established the Soviet Union with three other republics as its largest and the principal constituent. Ooh. Yes, yes, I'm feeling rather good about these words right now. You are doing yes. an amazing job. Thank you. The country underwent a period of rapid industrialization at the expense of millions of lives, unfortunately. The Soviet Union played a decisive role in the Allied victory in World War II, 
and was a superpower and rival to the United States during the Cold War. The Soviet era saw some of the most significant uh, technological achievements of the 20th century, including the world's first human-made satellite, that's right, and the launching of the first human into space. Yeah, they beat us. Yeah, they did. Yeah. They didn't get to the moon before us, though. No. Because they were kind of scared of it. I mean, I'm kind of scared of the moon, too. But if you guys ever want to dive into that, maybe we will one day, like, talk about the space race. Yeah, that was... it was wild. That was. was, That whole thing was wild. There was so much espionage and everyone trying to jump on it. Kennedy was a huge advocate of that whole thing. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, it was... Well, that was, like, the, the whole patriotism thing, too, for the U.S. It was, like... We're, we're taking back the country kind of thing. Then, right. Like, we're, we are the best of the best of the best. We're going to go up and put a flag on that big rock that we can't do nothing with. <laughs> right. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't really understand. So following the dissolution of the Soviet Union in 1991, the newly independent Russian SFSR renamed itself the Russian Federation. In the aftermath of the constitutional crisis of 1993, the 1993 Russian constitutional crisis, also known as the October Coup, Black Black October, the shooting of the White House, oof, yeah, <laughs> yikes, or Yukaz 1400, was a political standoff and constitutional crisis between the Russian President Boris Yeltsin, who recently just passed away, if I'm not mistaken, yes, and the Supreme Soviet of the Russian Federation that was resolved by Yeltsin using military force. We got all that out there. Mm-hmm. You guys understand what we're talking about? We're talking about the Russian Federation. Yeah. That's right. The right. Russian, Russian Red, Wrestling Federation is <laughs> yeah. what we're talking about. WWF. <laughs> w, the WRF. WR. The no, it'd be the uh, RWF. RWF, yes. Russian In this wrestling. corner, it's me, Yuri. <laughs> with <And> my rope. <laughs> <laughs> and we have guy in corner, he's bare. In everybody else corner. It don't matter, I still win. Look me. One pinky. You all done. That's what I do. So a new constitution was adopted and Russia has since been governed as a federal semi-presidential republic. Since his election in 2000, in, well, 2000, sorry, the, uh, the, 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 the guy, Mr. Vladimir Putin, has dominated Russia's political system and Russia has experienced democratic backsliding, shifting into an authorita- authoritarian state. In the, he's, I'm sorry, he's a dick, but whatever. Yeah, it, bit, it yeah, is what it is. A little bit, yeah. It ranks low in international measurements of freedom of the press and civil liberties and has high levels of perceived corruption. I mean, he has definitely kind of rigged the last 20 Well, there's years. other countries that kind of do that, too. I mean, look at North Korea, China. China's there, right up there. There's a lot of countries that... The U.S. is getting there, too. Yeah, oh, boy. Oh, boy. <laughs> you ain't taking my microphone. No. <laughs> Osama bin Biden. <laughs> yeah. You like that? No, I'm just kidding. So the Russian economy is the world's 11th largest by nominal GDP, and that's gross domestic product, by the way. Very good. And the sixth largest by PPP, which is... <laughs> I was going to have a joke, but I fucked it up. <laughs> which is purchasing power uh, parity. Okay, I don't, don't know what that is. But apparently that is the measurement of prices in different countries that uses the prices of specific goods to compare the absolute purchasing power of the country's currencies and to some extent their people's living standards. So like bread, milk, shit like that. Like if you were comparing bread in Germany versus bread mm-hmm. in the United States, the cost of what that would be in, to the equivalent of their currency to our currency. Right. Okay. That's, that's all that basically. So we kind of dictate what what's happening there versus what's happening right. with like, okay. like GDP typically dictates exports and imports and stuff like that, where the PPP dictates the people's ability to buy within the country. Okay. And what about the OPP? The OPP. Are you down with it? I am down with OPP. Oh fuck yeah, dude! No, I'm not. I'm married. Stop it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> I thought you you caught me, didn't you? I got yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it has the world's largest stockpile of nuclear weapons, 
Yikes. Yes. Especially right about now. The largest stockpile. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The largest stop and the fifth highest military expenditure. So they spend a lot of money on their military. And the largest stockpile. <laughs> yeah. I'm pretty sure my butt just puckered a little bit on that one. Yeah, you're welcome. Yeah. 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 I, I think I knew that. But I guess just saying it out loud is kind of like yeah. We used to be number one, and then we kind of uh, with the whole like uh, like the whole restructure of the world's nukes and stuff. We were the ones that well, kind of cut back a little bit because yeah, because there was that whole um, agreement that we supposedly made, and and we basically asked everybody to like get rid of if not all, most of their nuclear weapons right. and stuff. Right, it was based off their population. Like if you had a certain much of a population, you were allowed to have so many nukes. And then Russia was just right. like <laughs> Russia's like nope. <laughs> How many do you have? Add 10 more. Yeah. <laughs> no. How about I take all of yours? That sounds good deal. Yeah, it's a good deal. You you give me yours. I have them all. You fucked. <laughs> <laughs> See how this works? Anyway, sorry. So the, um, their extensive mineral and energy resources are the world's largest. Yeah. And it is among the leading producers of oil and natural gas globally. It is a permanent member of the United Nations Security Council, a member of the G20, the SCO, uh, the BRICS, the APEC, the OSCE, and the WTO, as well as the leading member of the CIS, the CSTO, and the EAEU. <sighs> I don't know what any of that is. <laughs> You're welcome. Those are just letters to me. <laughs> and- <laughs> Sorry. Russia is home to 30 uh, UNESCO um, World uh, Heritage Sites. Okay. So they, it's old. Yes. It's old. old. Culturally, it's very old. Yeah. Right. And so, uh, well, Logan apparently decided to define all of these acronyms for us here because, uh, well, I don't know what any of them are. So let's see. First of all, there's the G20 or Group of 20 is an intergovernmental forum comprising 19 countries and the European Union. It works to address major issues related to the global economy, such as the international financial stability, climate change, mitigation, and sustainable development. There you go. So it's like the world money police? Yeah. Kind of? Kind of. G20. <laughs> it just sounds like a, a rap group from the 90s. <laughs> G20 coming in! We yeah, all, yeah. We all flying around individually in our G5 airplanes. That's right. On the mic, my boy Yuri, come on, your work now, motherfucker. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> then there's the SCO, or the Shanghai Cooperation Organization, and it's a Eurasian political, economic, and security organization. It is the world's largest regional organization in terms of geographic scope and population, covering approximately 60% of the area of Eurasia, 40% of the world population, and more than 30% of global GDP. Well, if you think about it, Damn. The, the biggest country population wise is the main proprietor or the, the main proponent of this china yeah so china they kind of dictate you know a lot <laughs> now are they still um with the highest population i thought india took over on that i thought china, oh I, I, I don't know i could be wrong i could I be wrong china was up to two billion and i think india's china at like 1.8 china listen that's too many people man come on what are you doing i mean do they you think just Chinese people just like to get down. Is that what it is? I mean, nowadays they kind of have a little different perspective <laughs> on that. Moving on. But uh, apparently China is still ha- holds the world's largest population at 1.426 billion. But India, fucking close at yeah. 1.417. So literally 900 billion people. That's about it. Or nine, nine, 
meth. You got 90, that? 90,000 people. 90, that's it? Yeah. Oh, they're going to take over. Oh, yeah. India's totally taking That's probably their thing, too. They're like, listen, we have a chance to do something really awesome. <laughs> Everybody, go to your rooms. Get to banging. Don't come out until you have a kid. That's right. So BRCS is the acronym coined to associate five major emerging economies. Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa. Also known, people say BRICS all the time. BRICS. Yeah. BRICS. BRICS city. Argentina has formally applied for membership, but they told them to fuck off. Uh, no, I'm kidding. They didn't say that. The, the BRICS members are known for their significant influence on world affairs. Uh, since 2009, the governments of the BRICS states have met annually at formal summits. China hosted the most recent 14th BRICS summit on July 24th of this year. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and virtually, though. <laughs> yeah, of course, got to keep that Zoom. You don't yeah, want to yeah. catch COVID or anything. BRICS has a new development bar, um, a host, excuse me, host, BRICS host new development bank, contingent reserve arrangement, BRICS payment system, and BRICS basket reserve currency officially announced in 2022. What the shit? So is this just all the people that just control all the money, basically? Is that what this is? Yeah, pretty much. Okay. We're just Rothschilds up in there somewhere, too. You know? Yeah, but we're, we're not a part of that, though. Nope. Ooh. Yep. They're like, hey, America. <laughs> we're coming for you. Guess what? We're on a Zoom call right now with China. <laughs> Jealous. <laughs> so the Asia-Pacific Economic Co- uh, Co- ah, Cooperation, or the APEC, APEC, is an intergovernmental forum for 21 member economies in the Pacific Rim that promotes free trade throughout the Asia-Pacific group. Yeah. Too bad there's not a whole bunch of big mechs or, you know, aliens they're fighting or anything like that. That'd be pretty sweet. All right. Um, The, uh, let's see, OSCE, or the Organization for Security and Cooperation in Europe, is the world's largest regional security-oriented intergovernmental organization with observer states in the United Nations. Its mandate includes issues such as arms, uh, arms control, Promotion of human rights, freedom of the press, and free and fair elections. Isn't that pretty much what the UN is? I thought that's what the UN did. Yeah, but this is more the security portion of that within Europe. So, like, all the countries and everything, this is the security council, basically, of the UN. And then what's that other one? The, it's called, like, WOW or something like that? Or the... I've, there's another one like that, too. The WHO? That's it. That's the World Health Organization. So, they deal with anything that deals with your health, security-wise. So, these guys are, like... The, the world police. These are like the mall cops of the world. Oh, the mall. Oh. <laughs> well, that makes more sense then. Yeah. I feel better about that. All right. Um, and uh, it employs around 3,460 people, mostly in its field operations, but also in its secretariat in Vienna, Austria, and its institutions. Yes. Yes. Then there's the WTO, which is a great wrestling um, tag team. Yeah. Um, they actually just started. Oh, that's NWO. Never mind. I'm sorry. That's I messed that all up. Yeah, my hopes up there, man. Yeah, actually, it, never mind. We'll talk about it later. <laughs> Justin, I saw what's uh, what's happening with Triple H. I think it's pretty funny. That's Wait, what's all I'm saying. Him? And we'll talk later. Oh damn, it's pretty funny. It's pretty awesome. I'm excited. Yeah, yeah. It, all I'm gonna say is like the NWO. It looks like they're back. It's pretty cool. Nice. If you're not a wrestling fan, you're probably like, I have no idea what they're talking about. Yeah, that's but. where I got my start at with wrestling. Man, it was NWO WWE versus NWO on the Nintendo 64. Yeah. Yeah, loved it. So the uh, the WTO actually is an intergovernmental organization that regulates and facilitates international trade. But I thought that's what there's too many organizations, y'all. Well, they have an organization for every single person, and that way they can you know have that person head it and then pay them lots of money, and then they get people underneath them and make them feel better. That's all. Oh, it's okay. just like clubs. 
You know, like the Illuminati and stuff like that. These ah. guys just didn't want to fly. The other guys oh. do. Ah. That's ah. what to fly. <laughs> then there's the CIS, the Commonwealth of Independent States, and it's a regional governmental organization in Eastern Europe and Asia. It was formed following the dissolution of the Soviet Union in 91. That's 1991 for you youngins. It covers an area of, uh, oh boy, 20,368,759 kilometers squared. That's a lot. That's big. Yeah. That's Which, big. miles, that's, oh, we'll just say almost 800 million, 8 million square miles. Yeah. Right. It's a lot. And has an estimated population of 20, two, yeah, two, oh my God, it's a big number, 239,796,010. Yes. Damn. About to be 11. <laughs> <laughs> if India has anything to do about it, right? <laughs> the CIS encourages cooperation in economic, political, and military affairs and has certain powers relating to the coordination of trade, finance, lawmaking, and security. It has also promoted cooperation in cross border crime prevention. Yeah, they all that's have cool. something to do with each other. I don't, I don't, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's weird. That's weird. Then there's the CSTO, the Collective Security Treaty Organization. It's an intergovernmental military alliance in Eurasia consisting of six post-Soviet states. Armenia, Belarus, Kazakhstan, Kyrgyzstan, Russia, and Tajikistan. Why does everything stand at the end of it? I just don't understand. I don't understand. Get <laughs> yeah, it. That's the whole point. <laughs> oh. And coming soon, I don't understand a stand. <laughs> so the Collective Security Treaty has its origins in the Soviet ar- ar- ah, Armed Forces, which was replaced in 1992 by the United Armed Forces of the Commonwealth of Independent States and was then itself replaced by the successor, successor, successor Armed Forces of the respective uh, Independent States. Okay, so it used to be, and then it was. Now it is. Now it is. Man, it's too much. There's the, every like 10 years, there's like a new damn group that pops up. It's so ridiculous. It's nuts. The Eurasian Economic Union, okay, or the EE, uh, the EAEU or EEU is an economic union of some post Soviet states located in Eurasia. The Treaty on the Eurasian uh, Economic Union was signed on May 29th of 2014 by the leaders of Belarus, Kazakhstan, and Russia and came into force on January 1st of 2015. They just want to start their own groups. That's all they're doing. That's it. Everybody like, was, everybody's like, hey, I got a group. All right, cool. I don't like your group, though, because your name's Ted, so I'm going to make my own group called the Non-Ted right. Inclusive Group. Like, listen, I don't mind being part of this, but Kazakhstan, uh, kind of pain in the ass. Let's have our own group and don't invite them. <laughs> but no, no, we still be in their group. Oh, yeah. But they're not in our group. Correct. You get what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. You down with what I mean? Oh, I am definitely. Are you picking up what I'm stepping in? Maybe. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> so, Kyrgyzstan's, uh, a, a, well, a, let's see, uh, accession treaty uh, came into effect on August 6, 2015, and Kyrgyzstan participated in the EAEU from the day of its establishment as an uh, acceding state, mm-hmm. right? Then there's the United Nations Educational, Scientific, and Cultural Organization, also known as UNESCO or UNESCO. World Heritage Sites are places of importance to cultural or natural heritage as described in the UNESCO World Heritage Convention established in 1972. Cultural heritage consists of monuments such as architectural works, monumental sculptures, inscriptions, groups of buildings and sites, natural features, uh, uh, geological and physiographical formations, and natural sites which are important from the point of view of science, conservation of natural beauty, or are defined as natural heritage. Yes. 
anywhere that has a site that is important to that country being that country is considered a UNESCO site. There's like a whole bunch within every country, and then there's a bunch more that are constantly trying to be added every single day. They're trying to add more and more and more and more. Like Russia right now, I think, has like 20 different UNESCO sites that they're trying to get added onto their list of already 30 sites that they have currently in their country. It's ridiculous. That's a lot. A lot. Do they get like government funding for that, or is it just protected? Like, what's the deal? I mean, it's protected, and yeah, I mean, they get a you know a little tax write off. You know what I mean? You know, they get a couple extra bonuses at the end of the year. You know, just a couple extra things that kind of make them feel you know wiry. Well, yeah, I don't know. That seems kind of exclusive. <laughs> a little bit. A little, a little exclusive. All I have to do um, is just go pee in some snow and then just call it a UNESCO site because I want some extra tax funding. So. Yeah, I guess. That's crazy. Yeah. By the way, now we're cracking open the uh, Mexican mule. Oh, yeah. And this one is uh, tequila with ginger, lime, natural flavors. Yeah. Pretty right. good. Yeah, let's try it. Mm. Oh, that is good. I like that. Okay. Ooh, I like that a lot more than the uh, tropical meal. <laughs> yeah. Wow. You guys hear that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. A little bite to it. Mm. Right, wait, wait. Ready? <laughs> it even freaks me out. That made me cringe. Yeah. Man, it's so gross. That's so gross. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I might edit that out, but I probably won't. Anyway. So the uh, Soviet Union ratified the convention on uh, October 12th of 1988. The first five sites in the Soviet Union were inscribed to the list at the 14th session of the UNESCO World Heritage Committee, held in Banff. Alberta, Canada, in uh, December of 1990. Of these five, three are located in the present-day Russian Federation, or, you know, simply Russia. The monuments of St. Petersburg, uh, then called Leningrad, uh, the Kizhipogost, and the Moscow Kremlin and Red Square. Okay? The Kremlin's cool, man. Yeah. That is awesome looking. That is such a just, I, I mean, it's iconic. That was one of my favorite, like, scenes within the movie Hitman was, like, when he went to the Kremlin and was, like, had that big-ass freaking chopper chasing him down and shit. It was so cool. The whole area just looked awesome. Like, when you, when you see it, though, you know oh, yeah. what that is. You know yeah. what I mean? There's no, like, you know that that's the Kremlin. It's just, it's such a great, oh, yeah. cool-looking building. So, as of two, uh, 2022, there are 30 World Heritage Sites in Russia with a further 28 sites on the list. Like what you're talking about. Yeah, like they want to double the list. <laughs> we want more. Okay, thank you. Uh, my mother's house it should be on, you know, on list. She heavily influenced the entire country. <laughs> you understand, if not for her, no, no me, you know. <laughs> and I'm pretty great, right? Oh, yeah. So, therefore, yes. At least that one. I agree. Thank you. And her car. <laughs> and her beach house. And <laughs> he just starts <laughs> listing everything with mom. <laughs> so the most uh, recent site listed was the uh, petroglyphs of Lake Onega or Onega and the White Sea in 2021. There are 19 cultural sites and 11 natural sites. Four sites are transnational. The uh, Coronian Spit is shared with Lithuania. The landscapes of Daria and Uvsnur Basin are shared with Mongolia and the Struve Geodetic Ark is shared with nine European countries. Yeah, you guys didn't know that, did you? Bunch of really cool sites over there. Yeah. If you don't know what any of those are, just Google that name and find the pictures for them. Well, I probably said it wrong, so you're probably going to come up with some weird, like, disease or something like that. (laughs) (laughs) Like, ah, 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 (laughs) that is ugly. So the name Russia is derived from Rus, a medieval state populated primarily by the East Slavs, like we talked about earlier. However, the proper name became more prominent in later history, and the country typically was called by its inhabitants Rusland or Rusland. Okay, this state is denoted as Kievan, uh, Kievan, 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 
Not Kevin. Kievan. Or is it Kievan? Because isn't it Kiev? I, I believe it's Kievan. It's Kievan. Yeah. Right. It looks like Kievan. <laughs> hey, Kievan. <laughs> so Kievan Rus after its capital city by modern histi- uh, histi- <laughs> historiography? Historiography. That's what I said. <laughs> the name Rus itself comes from the uh, early medieval Rus people, a group of Norse merchants and warriors who relocated from across the Baltic Sea and founded a state centered on Novogorod that later became Kievan Rus. Bunch of Norse people, man. That's came pretty over awesome. It was like, this is ours now. They had no idea what they were getting themselves into. No. They were like, we've got to find out where this ends. Okay? <laughs> Just go. Just go <laughs> find it. So a medieval Latin uh, version of the name Rus was Ruthenia, which was used as one of several designations of East Slavic and Eastern Orthodox regions and commonly as a designation for the land, uh, the lands of Rus. The uh, current name of the country uh, Russia, or Russia, uh, yeah, Russia. I'd say that, right? Yeah, it's like Russia. 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 Which the Americans would call it Russia. Russia. Yeah, see? <laughs> Comes from the Byzantine Greek designation of the Rus, Russia. Uh, spelled, you don't even want me to try to spell that for you. <laughs> I don't even know what that most that is. Um, in modern Greek, okay, the standard way to refer to the citizens of Russia are Russians in English. There are two words in Russian uh, which are commonly translated into English as Russians. One is Ruski, uh, which I always thought that was like a negative connotation. That's what we use as a negative connotation during the Cold War. Oh, which most often refers to ethnic Russians. And the other is Rosyanya. Rosyanya. Rosyani. Is it Russian? What? Are you making shit up? I am making shit up. I'm trying to see right. if you can catch up on anything. Which refers to citizens of Russia, uh, regardless. Regardless. <laughs> <laughs> My tongue said nope. Uh, regardless of ethnicity. Okay, so uh, so we're going to say that Rusky is probably not a good thing. Yeah. But Rosyanya, Rosyan. No, it's got to be Yanya, right? Yeah, Rosyan. Rosyan. Yeah. Rosyani is what it looks like. <laughs> Rossi and Annie. That's right. That's what it looks like. <laughs> so early lower uh, Paleolithic times um, during the Aldawan period, which was about 2.6 million years ago, or when Russia's earliest human settlements were established. That is nuts. 2.6 million years ago is when people in Russia landed in Russia and settled it. Settled it. Aliens. Yeah. Talk about that shit, dude. That's nuts. It's crazy. Representatives of a Homo erectus moved to the Taman Peninsula in southern Russia about 2 million years ago. Like, representative, like, I, <laughs> all I see is this caveman in a suit going, I hear. <laughs> I take. Ugh. <laughs> you know, is mine. Yeah, he's mine. Bye, conk. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's just weird. In the North Caucasus, uh, flint tools that are about 1.5 million years old have been unearthed. That's awesome. Yeah. The oldest uh, Denisovan specimen, according to radiocarbon dated samples from uh, Denisova, uh, or the cave in Denisova, in the Altai Mountains, lived between 195 or 195 and 122 or 122,700 years ago. Damn. Yeah. The later. Remember how old our country is, by the way? I'm just going to say real fast. It's only like yeah, what, just two, saying, 200. Just saying. I'm not saying that there are people because there were people here before. Oh, yeah. I'm just but, saying. Yeah. Like, like we young. So uh, the uh, later cave also included the remains of Denny, an ancient human hybrid that lived about 90,000 years ago and was half Neanderthal and half Denisovan. Some of the uh, final uh, Neanderthals, who lived about 45,000 years ago, were discovered in Russia's, oh boy, Mesmaskaya Cave. Good job. Right? 
think about that, okay? And I do remember this whole the Denny thing. I mm-hmm. remember seeing like a bunch of stuff on that because they unearthed and his the arm was all like this or whatever. Yep. Ninety thousand years ago. Yeah. Oof. In Russia. In Russia, we have all the old people. So give us like nuclear weapons. <laughs> we'll take them all. We have old people. We've been here for a while now. It's fine. <laughs> we're experienced. <laughs> yeah, we know what we're doing. It's fine. The first trace of an early modern human in Russia dates back to 45,000 years in Western Siberia. The discovery of high concentration cultural remains of anatomically modern humans from at least 40,000 years ago was found at Kostinki. <laughs> Stinky. <laughs> and um, Borshkori. Oh, boy, oh, boy. Borshtyovia. Borshtyovia. No, that's not a sh. Is it a sh or a k? Borshtyovia. 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 No. No? And, I don't know. <laughs> and at Songur, dating back to 34,600 years ago. Both respectively in Western Russia. That's insane. Their history is like, and we're not even like yeah. present time. <laughs> yeah. We're talking. We're moving. Yeah. Humans uh, reached Arctic Russia at, at least 40,000 years ago in Mamantovaya, um, Kyria. As I say, right? Mamantovaya. Yeah, yeah, I got that one. I feel like that was good. It was good. Russian listeners, I'm so sorry. <laughs> so, um, let's see. The Sardom of Russia. Okay, why does it say haha? Because I think that word is just so funny to me. Oh. It's the Sardom, because you know it's like the stardom, but it's just the S and the T are backwards. It's to Sardom, I told you that. <laughs> it's just yeah. it's such a weird word. <laughs> so, in development of the Third Rome ideas, the Grand Duke Ivan the Fourth, Ivan the Terrible. Dun, dun, dun. Did you ever see Night at the Museum 2? Yes. Do you remember the scene where he was like, I am even the terrible, but, you know, I'm, I'm terribly great. That's what they meant to say. <laughs> <laughs> well, he was officially crowned the first czar of Russia in 1547. The czar uh, promulgated, <laughs> I'm going to say created, yeah, a new code of laws, <laughs> all right, established the first Russian feudal representative body, um, which is called the Zimsky Sobar. Uh, revamped the military, curbed the influence of the clergy, and reorganized reorganized local government. Sorry, I'm going to need you to to say that again. Man, I'm having some... (laughs) Woo! So during his long reign, Ivan nearly doubled the already large Russian territory by annexing the three Tatar... uh, uh, Kanates? Kanates. Kanates. Kanates? Kanates. I don't feel like that's correct. Anyway. Kazan and Astrakhan. All right, along the Volga and the Khanate of Sibir in southwestern Siberia. Yes. So Khanate. We'll say Khanate. Yes. Tatar Khanate. Keep the word Volga in the back of your brain. The word what? Volga. Volga. Keep that in the back of your head. Volga. I feel like I already have a Volga in the back of my throat. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Isn't that that little dangly thing? That's your uvula. I know. I'm kidding. Okay. <laughs> a vulva. I know. That's what my grandmother drives. I'm kidding. Anyway, so ultimately, um, by the end of the 16th century, Russia expanded east of the Ural Mountains. However, the Tsardom was weakened by the long and unsuccessful Livonian War against the coalition of the Kingdom of Poland and the Grand Duchy. I swear to God, I hope it's not Duchy. It'd be even worse if it was Duchy. (laughs) It would be. That's what I was thinking. (laughs) Of Lithuania, later the United Polish-Lithuanian Commonwealth, the Kingdom of Sweden, and... Denmark, Norway for access to the Baltic coast and sea trade. Yes. Okay. Moving on up, trying to make moves. Making them bigger. Russia continued its territorial growth through the 17th century, which was the age of the Cossacks. In 1654, the Ukrainian leader, Bogdan Kamnitsky, 
Uh, we'll just call it that, that. I don't even know how to fucking pronounce that. Come on. Come on. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> One more time. <laughs> it, it's it's K-H-E, K-H-M-E-L-N-Y. Hold on. I got this. Kimelnitsky. There it is. I got that. Well, that's actually pretty good. Bolden Kimelnitsky. I got it. And if that's wrong, I'm sorry, but come on. That's pretty damn good, though. <laughs> Uh, offered to take uh, place Ukraine under the uh, you know, or, or offered to place Ukraine under the protection of the Russian Czar Alexis, whose acceptance of this offer led to another Russo-Polish war. Ultimately, Ukraine was split along the Dnieper, or maybe the D silent. Yeah, it's the Dnieper. Yeah. <laughs> Either that or the N's silent. It's just diaper. <laughs> That'd be pretty funny. <laughs> Leaving the eastern part um, under Russian rule. In the east, the rapid Russian exploration and colonization of vast Siberia, uh, Siberia continued, hunting for valuable furs and ivory. Russian explorers pushed eastward, primarily along the uh, Siberian river routes, and by the mid-17th century, there were Russian settlements in eastern Siberia, on the Chuchki Peninsula, along the Amur River, and on the coast of the Pacific Ocean. Just spreading out. Dude, they're going wide. Taking down. what they can. In 1648, Semyon Dezhnyov... Yeah. Feels good. Became the first European to navigate through the Bering Strait. Oh, look at that. 1648. That's a cold-ass body of water. Yeah. Oh. Not anymore because Semyon's there. Well, um, he's warming it up. He's like, you know what? You look like a very cold strait. I'd like to perhaps, uh, you know, get some vodka, warm you up a little bit. I'm just going to dip my toes in a little bit. Oh. (laughs) Feel good? (laughs) He was the first guy on Deadliest Catch. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> so in 1914, Russia entered World War I in response to Austria-Hungary's declaration of war on Russia's ally, Serbia, and fought across multiple fronts while isolated from its triple entente. Ah, entente? Entente. Entente. That's what's called a triple entente. No, that's... That's exactly how it's pronounced. An entente? An entente. Why is that E in the end? Because it's French. Ask the French. So it should be entente. No, it should be entente. Entente. He's entente. 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 I like that better. In 1960, the Brusilov offensive of the Imperial Russian Army almost completely destroyed the Austro-Hungarian Army. However, the already existing public distrust of the regime was deepened by the rising costs of the war, high casualties, and rumors of corruption and treason. So, of course, that's all not good. No. All of this formed the climate for the Russian Revolution of 1917, carried out in two major acts. In early 1917, Nicholas II was forced to renounce his throne. Yes. They said, get the fuck out. Bye. He and his family were imprisoned and later executed in Yekaterinburg during the Russian Civil War. Oh, that's not good. Mm -mm. The monarchy was replaced by a shaky coalition of political parties that declared itself the provisional government. The provisional government proclaimed that uh, the Russian Republic in September and on January 19th of 1918, the Russian Constituent Assembly declared Russia a democratic federal republic, thus ratifying the provisional government's decision. The next day, the Constituent Assembly was dissolved by the All-Russian Central Executive Committee. Yeah, they were just like, yeah, fuck that. Yeah. You guys you guys following us here? It's just, just too much. It's a lot. It's a lot. And this is just a, a, a blink. That was just All War. of this is just a that blink. Was just World War One. We still got four more to go. Yeah. Just four more. Yeah. World War Two, Cold War, Soviet. Oh, I thought yeah, I was yeah. like, what do you know that I don't? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I know we're in a weird state right now, but come on. I mean. 
So an alternative socialist establishment coexisted, the Petrograd Soviet, wielding uh, uh, power through the democratically elected councils of workers and peasants called Soviets. The rule of the new authorities only aggravated the crisis in the country instead of resolving it, and eventually the October Revolution, led by Bolshevik, Bolshevik, yeah, yeah, Bolshevik, Bolshevik. All right, yeah. Vladimir Lenin, and I'm sure you guys all know who that guy is. And if not, we'll Google that. Yeah, yeah. he's he's a hell of a guy. He's a dude. Yeah, he's a he's a dude. He yeah, he was a dude. Yep. He overthrew the provisional government and gave full governing power to the Soviets, leading to the creation of the world's first socialist state. Oh, yay, socialism. Yeah. The Russian Civil War broke out between the anti-communist white movement and the new Soviet regime with its Red Army. In the aftermath of signing the Treaty of Brest-Litovsk, right? Okay. Brest-Litovsk. Brest. It's probably like Litovsk. Okay, silent. (laughs) The whole word's silent, you don't even say it. <laughs> that concluded hostilities with the central powers of World War One. Bolshevist Russia, okay, they surrendered most of its uh, western territories, which hosted 34% of its population at the time, 54% of its industries at the time, and 32% of its agricultural land, and roughly 90% of its coal mine. Oh, boy. That's a lot of power. Yeah, you're giving up a up. lot of stuff. Yep. So the Allied powers launched an unsuccessful military intervention in support of anti-communist forces. In the meantime, both the Bolsheviks and white movement carried out campaigns of deportations and executions against each other, known respectively as the Red Terror and the White Terror. So they're back and forth. Both terrifying. Right. By the end of the violent civil war, Russia's economy and infrastructure were heavily damaged, and as many as 10 million people perished during this war, mostly civilians. Yeah, it's sad. We've been involved in a lot of wars. There's been a lot of wars in the world and stuff. 10 million is an exuberant amount of people. And that's just one of their wars where they lost millions of people. There's been several wars where they've lost millions of people. Yeah, that's just crazy. Yeah. So millions became white immigrants, which I'm I'm sure I'm not saying that right because that can't be. That's, I just did it with like a, a Spanish. Emigre. It's Im- Im- immigrants. It's, they're immigrants. Whatever. Yeah, basically, yeah. Right. So a white Russian immigre was a Russian subject who immigrated from the territory of the former Russian Empire in the wake of the Russian Revolution. Remember, when, when I say a white Russian, I'm not like talking a Caucasian Russian. Oh, I was talking about the drink. No, I almost got us some of those today. Oh. I was looking for it. I couldn't find it. Dang. And I almost got us uh, the old Rasputin uh, Russian stout. Ooh. But I wanted to be able to finish this episode without going, <laughs> you know what I mean? So anyway, white, remember the white Russians and the right, white army and red army. Correct. Right. So that's kind of what we're talking about here. Uh, and um, so it, they immigrated from the territory of the former Russian Empire in, you know, the, the wake of the revolution. So and that was in 1917 and in the Civil War that ended in 1923. And who was in opposition in the revolutionary, um, you know, the Russian political climate there. You yeah. know, those were the red communists. Correct. Remember the reds? The red terror. Red and the Russian famine of 1921 and 1922 claimed up to another 5 million people. Yeah, dude, Russia's history has been a lot of uh, decent ups and lots of really bad downs. Yeah, they've had a lot of uh, a lot of loss. Yeah. That sucks. A lot. On December 30th of 1922, holy macadamia nuts, that's 100 years ago. Just saying. <laughs> that's mad. Lenin and his aides formed the Soviet Union by joining the Russian SFSR into a single state with the Bi- uh, Belarusian 
Transcaucasian and Ukrainian republics. Transcaucasian doesn't that doesn't feel right. <laughs> Nowadays, no. And it just doesn't feel no. right. Eventually, internal border changes and annexations during World War II created a union of 15 republics, the largest in size and popula- population being the Russian SFSR, which dominated the union for its entire history politically, culturally, and economically. Of course they did. Yeah. They, they were the big cool. dude on campus. You know what I mean? Yes. Following Lenin's death in 1924, a troika was designated to take charge. Eventually, Joseph Stalin... Oh, another guy! Yeah, another good guy. Yeah. The general secretary of the Communist Party managed to suppress all opposition factions and consolidate power in his hands to become the country's dictator by the 1930s. Leon Trotsky, the main proponent of world revolution, was exiled from Soviet Union in 1929, and Stalin's idea of socialism in one country became the official line. The continued uh, internal struggle in the Bolshevik Party culminated in the Great Purge which was no bueno. No bueno. No bueno. Now, under Stalin's leadership, and remember, Stalin, not a good dude. No. Not a good dude. Not at all. Uh, Under his leadership, the government launched a command economy, um, industrialization of the largely uh, rural country, and collectivization of its agriculture. Okay? In other words, the government controlled everything. Yes. Absolutely everything. During this period of rapid economic and uh, social change, millions of people were sent to penal labor camps, including many political convicts for their suspected or real opposition to Stalin's rule. And millions were deported and exiled to remote areas of the Soviet Union, kind of like Siberia, because that's where they would send your ass to the gulag, you know. And that's just because you had an opposing um, opinion. Correct. You just spoke out of what they were wanting to do. Like, man, this really sucks. That, that, That them... Dude, he's Stalin sucks. <laughs> All of a sudden, KGB. I don't think KGB has <laughs> started yet, but yeah, KGB's coming up soon, I would oh, assume, yes. right? Yeah. So anyway, this, this it was just horrible. And millions, you know, they were again deported. So the transitional disorganization of the country's agriculture combined with the harsh state policies and a drought led to the Soviet famine of 1932 to 1933, which killed up to another 8.7 million. Yeah. Damn. Just good to put this here real fast. Obviously, this is a long time ago, but let's see. 15, figure out eight, carry the one, subtract seven, hop on one foot, blink my eye. 23.7 million people. Like the last 20 years. In this, in that we've been in talking that, about, in, that past, in this time yeah, frame. In that past 20 years. So yeah. 23, almost 24 million people. Yeah. Um, in about 23, 24 years. Do you think that they may have actually been able to become an even bigger power if all of those people didn't die like that? Probably. It would be kind of scary. You know what I mean? Yeah. Or they would have had a smaller state because those many people were able to make it out and start their own land and fight for it and then more casualties and yada yada. So you're just saying that they were just going to die eventually anyway? Is that what we're talking about? I kind of feel like that because Russia's very uh, this is mine. Right. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. The Soviet Union ultimately made the costly transformation from a largely agricultural economy, yes. let's put it that way, to a major industrial powerhouse within a short span of time. Okay, so now we're on to World War II. All right, and the Soviet Union, they entered World War II on September 17th, 1939, with its invasion of Poland in accordance with a secret protocol with the Molotov-Ribbentrop Pact with Nazi Germany. Those bastards. Hmm. Stinky butchers. 
The Molotov Ribbentrop, uh, Ribbentrop Pact was a non-aggression pact between Nazi Germany and the Soviet Union that enabled those two powers to partition Poland between them. The pact was signed in Moscow on August 23, 1939 by German Foreign Minister uh, Joachim von Ribbenbach, Ribbentrop. It's ri <laughs> what is the last name? And Soviet Foreign Minister uh, Vyacheslav Molotov and was officially known as the Treaty of Non-Aggression between Germany and the United, uh, Union of Soviet Socialist Republics. Unofficially, it has been referred to as the Hitler-Stalin Pact, Nazi-Soviet Pact, or Nazi-Soviet Alliance. Although it was not really an alliance. No, it was just, a, hey, if I'm doing this, just kind of yeah. be there, you know? It was like, hey, how about this? I have an idea. Yeah? I get half, you get half. Oh. Well, I do not have to. <laughs> no, but it's It's Poland. It's nice. <laughs> and he's like, oh, I guess, okay. <laughs> they have good kielbasa. <laughs> <laughs> and pierogies, right? Oh, Isn't yes. that a Polish thing? I think so. I think, yeah. Or is that a Cleveland thing? I want to know, seriously, because, you know, obviously, I, I don't like pierogies personally. Really? It, from anywhere else in the country here in the U.S., mm -hmm. or anyone else in the world, mm -hmm. if you don't know what a pierogi is, I want to hear from you. Aren't they the guys that also made the pachkis, the, like the donuts with the the, the 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 jelly in the inside, but it's not a really jelly. It's I think I think that's a thing. Well, then that, then that's I don't think pierogies are though. I think that's like a Cleveland thing. I mean, it's a fucking ravioli with potatoes in it. Thank you. Oh my god, that's exactly <laughs> that's what I say. All it is. It seriously is. Just, Everyone's like, you don't like pierogies. I'm like, it's why a, would I eat a ravioli with potatoes in it? <laughs> that's all it is. Yeah. Like, oh my god, it's so good with butter and onions. And we listen. We sell a lot of them at yeah, our place, and yeah, everyone loves them. Mm -hmm. But I'm like. I just don't get it. Like, first of all, you better put some some marinara, a little bit of, you know, something inside of that. Give it to me. I want to have it all, you know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I'm not Italian in any way, shape, or form. But it tastes By the better. way, I actually think I probably, I'm probably more Polish than I am. I don't know. I don't have any Polish in me, actually. No, I do, though. Do you? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Explains a lot. Just yeah. kidding. No, Polish people are amazing. They are. All you people are they amazing. They make really good food. I'm English as shit, which yes. means you're a lot of English, too. Yes, which means that we really don't son. have a taste of food. Anyways. <laughs> yeah, come on, England. <laughs> like, <laughs> That's why they what are we doing? took over so many countries to figure out what yeah. they use to cook their food. <laughs> Is that what it, <laughs> <laughs> that what it yeah. was? It was like, wow, this tastes fucking amazing. We're taking over you? <laughs> <laughs> this is great. What do you call this? It doesn't matter. We're taking it. <laughs> And that makes all the sense in the yeah, world, right? Now. Yeah, they, England took over a lot of the world because their food sucks. Yes, we have 217 yeah. countries in the world, and 107 of them are <laughs> declaring independence right. at least one day of the year. Yeah, it's yeah. so messed up. And, oh. all because the food was great. I don't. I wish our food was better. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, the Soviet Union later invaded Finland and occupied and annexed the Baltic states, as well as parts of Romania. On June 22nd, 1949, Germany invaded the Soviet Union opening the Eastern Front, the largest theater of World War II. Well, think about how big the place is. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, first of all, like, you had this agreement with them, mm -hmm. and you're like, hey, remember that time I told you you could have, like, a little bit of, you know, the Poland? Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, guess what? Uh, we want your whole country now. <laughs> <laughs> we want the whole thing. And you would think that they would have learned from what uh, was it napoleon that just invaded and like most of his entire army just died in russia because they were like huh we're gonna take over you and, and just not gonna survive i don't know but i really like his ice cream napoleon ice cream yeah 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 so eventually some five million red army troops were captured by the nazis yes i know it's neapolitan i was kidding all right 
before I get any hate mail from anybody. I was waiting for the comeback on that. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, are we really just going to let I, go? Yeah, well, I, I wanted to, but I'm like, no, I better, I better say something. <laughs> so eventually some 5 million Red Army troops, 5 million troops were captured by the Nazis. The uh, latter deliberately starved to death or otherwise killed. Uh, they, the Nazis killed 3.3 million Soviet POWs and a vast number of civilians as the hunger plan, quote-unquote, sought to fulfill. Oh, man. Uh, General Plan Ost. Okay. Although the Wehrmacht had... Uh, Wehrmacht. Wehrmacht. Yeah, I had, I've got to make sure. Yes. I know this now. Yes. The Wehrmacht had considerable early uh, success. Their attack was halted in the Battle of Moscow. Subsequently, the Germans were dealt major defeats, first at the Battle of Stalingrad in the winter of 1942-43, and then in the Battle of Kursk in the summer of 43. Another German failure was the Siege of Leningrad, in which the city was fully blockaded and land on land between uh, 41 and 44 by German and Finnish forces, and suffered starvation and more than one million deaths, but never surrendered. Yeah. Man, you gotta give them, you know what I mean? Like, you have to give them that, that, that they literally are fighters yeah they're fighters and it's just it's just crazy to me so soviet forces steamrolled through eastern and central europe in 44 in 1944 to 1945 and captured berlin in may of 1945 in august 1945 the red army invaded manchuria and ousted the japanese from northeast asia contributing to the allied victory over japan yeah, they were huge contributors for a lot of our success. Okay, so in saying that, too, think about this for a second, okay? And, and in all honest, I'm being kind of serious on this. Yeah. So initially, they were in cahoots with Germany. Mm-hmm. And then Germany stabbed them in the back. Pretty much. I mean, truthfully, that's what they did. Yeah. And then Russia was like, okay, then. We'll see how it is. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> and now we won this for you. You're Correct. Welcome. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. That's exactly what that, 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 that's what happened. And then that same thing kind of transpired between us and them. So anyways. <clears throat> well, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so uh, the 1941 to 1945 period of World War II is known in Russia as the Great Patriotic War, which it should be. Fuck yeah, dude. Absolutely. The Soviet Union, along with the United States, the United Kingdom, and China, were considered the big four of Allied powers in World War II and later became the Four Policemen, which was the foundation of the United Nations Security Council. During the war, Soviet civilian and military deaths were about 26 to 27 million people. And we're already up, what, 24 million from the last, you know? It was 24, so now not yet. So, yeah, yeah, we're, yep, we're pushing 50 mil right there. Yep, yep. yep. Actually, 51, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Which accounted for uh, roughly a half of all World War II casualties. Civilian, military, like, yes. That is... Higher World War II. Baffling. Half of it was Russia. Baffling. Yeah. The Soviet economy and infrastructure suffered massive devastation, which caused the Soviet famine of 1946 to 47. Another fucking famine. Yeah. However, at the expense of a large sacrifice, the Soviet Union emerged as a global... Superpower, and they 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 sure shit did. Mm-hmm. After World War II, parts of Eastern and Central Europe, including Eastern Germany and Eastern parts of Aust- Austria, uh, were occupied by the Red Army, according to the Potsdam Conference. Dependent communist governments were insta- installed on the Eastern Bloc satellite states. After becoming the world's second nuclear power, oh, what what second nuclear power? Huh, mm. that's odd. That's not as good as being first, right? That's. I don't have all of them yet. 
<laughs> Give me a few years. I have all. It's fine. The Soviet Union established the Warsaw Pact Alliance and entered into a struggle for global dominance known as the Cold War with the rivaling, well, United States and NATO. After Stalin's death in 1953, everyone clapped and applauded and a short period of collective rule. The new leader, Nikita Khrushchev, right? Khrushchev, mm -hmm. right? Khrushchev. Denounced Stalin and launched the policy of de-Stalinization, releasing many political prisoners from the Gulag labor camps. The general easement of repressive policies became known, later known as the Khrushchev, uh, the Khrushchev Thaw, which is pretty awesome. Yeah, it's pretty cool. At the same time, Cold War tensions reached its peak when the two rivals clashed over the deployment of the United States Jupiter missiles in Turkey and Soviet missiles in Cuba. Oh, who 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 did that? Hmm. Oh, I'm just I'm just hmm. just looking at things. In 1957, the Soviet Union launched the world's first artificial satellite. Sputnik 1. What oh, yes. is this? the Sputnik. Thus starting the space age. That's right. They were the first ones to do it, folks. Russian cosmonaut Yuri Gagarin uh, became the first human to orbit the Earth. Aboard the Vostok 1 manned spacecraft on uh, April 12th of 1961. Yep, you heard that. Following the ousting of Khrushchev in 1964, another period of collective rule ensued until Leon... Oh, boy. Leon Leonid? Le oh, <laughs> It's Leonard, but Leonid. <laughs> Leonard. Leonid Breshev, or Breshnev, excuse me, became the leader. The area of the 1970s and the uh, the era of the 1970s and uh, the early 1980s was later designated as the era of stagnation. The 1965 uh, Kosygin reform aimed for uh, partial decentralization of the Soviet economy. In 1979, after communist-led revolution in Afghanistan, Soviet forces invaded the country, ultimately starting the Soviet-Afghan War, which was huge, by the way. Right. It's a, a, a war that a lot of people don't really, like, either know a lot about or know at all. Right. It was lots of people died in that mm -hmm. one. In May of 1988, the Soviets started uh, to withdraw from Afghanistan due to international opposition, persistent anti-Soviet guerrilla warfare, and a lack of support by Soviet citizens. They were like, why, why, why are you over there? <laughs> right. What are you doing? What are you doing? So now, Mikhail Gorbachev, and if you guys know him at all, he was the bald dude with the big, like, he had a country on his head, a birthmark. That's what it looked like. <laughs> um, and in one, one discussions, all right, so he, from, so he, yeah, we'll move on. Hold on. From uh, 1985 onwards, the last Soviet leader, Gorbachev here, the guy with the big thing, he uh, sought to enact liberal reforms in the Soviet system and introduce the policies of glasnost, okay? Which means openness. Open. And perestroika, which is to restructure, restructuring, right? In an attempt to end the period of economic stagnation and to de, uh, de ah, democratize, that's a weird word, the entire government, okay? This, however, led to the rise of strong nationalist and separatist movements across the country prior to 1991. The Soviet economy was the world's second largest. And remember, this is a country that got pretty much fucking destroyed during World War II. Right. You know what I mean? They literally lost so many people. All right. So, again, world's second largest, but during its final years, it went into crisis here. Okay. Mm -hmm. By 1991, economic and political turmoil began to boil over as the Baltic states chose to secede from the Soviet Union. On March 17th, a referendum was held in which the vast majority of participating citizens voted in favor of changing the Soviet Union into a renewed federation. 
In June of 91, Boris Yeltsin became the first directly elected president, okay, in Russian history, when he was elected president of the Russian SFSR. In August of 1991, a coup d'etat attempt, should I say, a coup d'etat attempt. A coup d'etat attempt. Sorry. By members of Gorbachev's government directed against Gorbachev and aimed at preserving the Soviet Union because they didn't want that. Right. Instead, led to the end of the Communist Party of the Soviet Union. On Christmas Day of 1991, following the dissolution of the Soviet Union, along with contemporary Russia, 14 other post-Soviet states emerged. Ooh. Dun, dun, dun. Fast forward, and then we have Ukraine. <laughs> right, right, pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. The economic and political collapse of the Soviet Union led Russia into a deep and prolonged depression. Yeah, it was pretty bad, and it's still not great. No, it's not. Still. During and after the disintegration of the Soviet Union, wide-ranging reforms, including privatization and market and uh, trade liberalization, were undertaken, including uh, radical changes along the lines of shock therapy. The privatization largely shifted control of enterprises from state agencies to individuals with inside connections to the government, which which led to the rise of the infamous uh, Russian oligarchs. Those are basically... And if you don't know what an oligarch is, you've probably heard that word thrown around here lately, especially when Russia started to invade the Ukraine. It's basically all the rich fucks. Right. They're the ones that control everything. Sounds it's like the one percenters over there. Sounds familiar. I mean, I've heard something like that before. Oh, okay. Yeah. Sim- sim- similar. Similar. <laughs> similar. Many of the new rich moved uh, billions, um, the, the rich, excuse me, moved billions in cash. Billions in cash. And re- remember, everyone else is in depression right now. Right. Like deep, deep, deep. Like bad. Like can't buy a loaf of bread bad. You know? So they moved billions of dollars in cash and assets outside of the country in an enormous capital flight. So let's just take our money and fuck our country. Mm -hmm. Okay? The depression of the economy led to the collapse of social services. The birth rate plummeted while the death rate skyrocketed and millions plunged into poverty. While extreme corruption as well as criminal gangs and organized crime rose significantly. And you are not kidding. Crime was horrible. And it's still, from what I heard, it's still not great. No. But you're talking like the 90s? Yeah. What is all those dudes walking around in the, uh, the, the track suits? <laughs> right. Hey, dude, you want to, I shoot your face, hey. <laughs> bang, bang, pow, pow. <laughs> I love Run DMC, you know? Like, just. Yeah. So in late 1993, tensions between Yeltsin and the Russian parliament culminated in a constitutional crisis, which ended violently through military force. During the crisis, Yeltsin was backed by Western governments. Okay, I know a few of those. Mm-hmm. And over 100 people were killed. Yikes. In December, a referendum was held and approved, which introduced a new constitution, giving the president enormous power. <laughs> we don't want that now, do we? The 1990s were plagued by armed conflicts in the North Caucasus, both local ethnic skirmishes and separatist Islamic um, insurrections. So all kinds of bad stuff happening. From the time the Chechen separatists, uh, separatists, separatists declared independence in the early 1990s, an intermittent guerrilla war was fought between the rebel groups and Russian forces. Terrorist attacks against civil, uh, civilians were carried out by Chechen. Is it Chechen or Chechen? It's Chechen. Chechen. Yeah. Separate. I've heard Chechen before. Chechen before. Really? I've heard that before. Yeah, everywhere I've ever heard it was always Chechen. Yeah. Well, this claimed the lives of thousands of Russian civilians. Damn it. After the dissolution of the Soviet Union, Russia assumed responsibility for setting the latter's external debts. Settling their their debts, okay? 
1992, most consumer price controls were eliminated, causing extreme inflation and significantly devaluing the ruble. High budget deficits coupled with increasing capital flight and inability to pay back debts caused the 1998 Russian financial crisis, which resulted in a further GDP decline. Okay. Yeah. This is just not too long ago. You're talking like 25 years ago, 30 years ago, yeah, right? 25 years ago, yeah. In 1999, President Yeltsin unexpectedly resigned, handing the post to recently appointed Prime Minister and his chosen successor, Vladimir Putin. Mm. Now, resigned seems like a really, really nice word was uh, for forced out. Well, it was unexpected for him to resign. Oh, oh so that's that's what... Okay, I needed that to... Yes, you know, it was unexpected yeah. that he resigned. I'm glad the identifier was there for me, so cool. now I know. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Putin then won the 2000 presidential election and defeated the Chechen insurgency in the Second Chechen War. Putin won a second presidential term in 2004. High oil prices and a rise in foreign investment saw the Russian economy expand significantly. Their economy's coming back up. Yay, Putin, right? Mm-hmm. Brought the economy back up. All right. Putin's rule increased stability while transforming Russia into an authoritarian state. In 2008, Putin took the post of prime minister, while Dmitry Medvedev was elected president for one term to hold on to power despite legal term limits. You guys heard that, right? So in other words, Putin, there were term limits there. He couldn't be president again. Mm -hmm. So he's like, hey, Dmitry, I have idea. I'm going to be prime minister. Mm-hmm. You're going to be president. Oh, okay. You, you like the idea? Oh, that's a great idea. Do you like oh, that? Yeah, let's Only do that. for one year, bitch. Oh, okay. Because then I'm coming back. Oh. And taking it all over. Oh. And that's exactly what he pretty much did. Pretty much. Yeah. I mean, seriously. <laughs> I mean, that was a rough, uh, you know, analogy of it, but yeah. Following a diplomatic crisis with neighboring Georgia, the Russo-Georgian War took place uh, during August uh, 1st uh, through the 12th in 2008, resulting in Russia imposing two unrecognized states in the occupied territories of Georgia. It was the first European war of the 21st century. Yeah. But you guys didn't know that? Nope. Yeah, because I didn't. Uh, Yeah. In 2014, following a revolution in Ukraine, Russia invaded and annexed the neighboring countries, Crimean Peninsula, and contributed to the outbreak of war in eastern Ukraine with direct intervention by Russian troops. Russia steeply escalated the ongoing Russo-Ukrainian war by launching a full-scale invasion of Ukraine on February 24th of this year. This is what you guys are all following and hearing now. Correct. The invasion marked the largest conventional war in Europe since World War II and was met with widespread international condemnation, which, yeah, everyone's like, fuck, what the fuck are you doing? Right. As well as expanded sanctions against Russia. Now, you got to remember, though, too, they are kind of a superpower. And these sanctions, in my opinion, it's like telling me I can't leave my house. Right. I've got everything I need. Right. You know what I mean? Right. So, and the downside is they, Russia controls, well, not necessarily controls, they help supply a large portion of Europe's oil, natural gas, and, and a lot of other things. Like, Agriculturally, they are a huge. Yeah, they are literally a superpower. Like, they, like, they seriously are. Yeah. And remember, <clears throat> just reiterating this, they have all the nukes. <laughs> Keep poking the bear. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, uh, I'm going to be a little honest. I'm a little, 
little taken aback. I'm paying. Oh, I'm paying attention. I'll put it that way. Yeah. Ever since I uh, that I tell you about the the whole like him transporting a bunch of his nukes to the border of Ukraine and Russia a couple weeks ago. Yeah, my butt's in Peckerton's son. So. Yeah. Yeah. And then apparently, uh, the president of the United States said something uh, recently about that it's uh it, it's the what he something like it's the the scariest nuclear worry that we've had since the sixties. Hearing the president say that kind of makes me go. But then again, he probably meant 1760s because he doesn't know what he's doing. <laughs> he doesn't so know it at all. It's fine. I don't think no. he knows whether to like scratch his watch or wind his ass. You know what I mean? Like I, it just that's my opinion. My opinion. That's my opinion. It's a really good analogy. I like that. <laughs> Alle- allegedly, I'm going to keep that. <laughs> allegedly. So as a result, Russia was expelled from the Council of Europe in March and suspended from the United Nations Human Rights Council in April. In September of 22, just this month, yeah, last, last month, month yeah. last month, last right? Month. Putin proclaimed the annexation of Ukraine's Donetsk, Kherson, Luhansk, and holy shit, Zaporizhia. Hold on, Zaporizhia. Yeah, yeah, Zaporizhia regions. Okay, so that's where we are right now as far as the history. Of Russia. To literally last month. Correct. You're welcome. You are up to date from beginning to end of Russia. Now listen, again, do not hate on the people of Russia because of what their leader is doing. Okay, I cannot stress that enough. All right? Even the people that are just following orders, and I know that there's a very thin line with like, why are they following orders? Because if you don't, you get fucking shot. You know what I mean? Or your family. And over there, listen, go back and research KGB. Maybe we'll do an episode on the KGB one of these days. Oh, yeah. Um, I want to because I did a bunch of research that's coming up in here that that relates to that. It's, It's wild. Yeah. So, you know, anyway, that is Russia. However, now the stuff that you're probably more than likely here for. Really? They're not here for the history? No, no, that's an added bonus. Oh, you're welcome. The history. They they know how we do this. How oh, we yeah. how we roll. Oh yeah. But you guys want to talk about the motherfucking creepy shit. Alright, so now if you guys recall um our recounting of the Dyatlov Pass incident, then you can understand that there's a you know Definitely some crazy shit that happens in Russia, right? Oh, yeah. Like, as we know. Oh, yeah. Um, and there's still, like, stuff going on where they're, like, researching that whole thing. Still kind of finding some other things that kind of counter what was previously thought. Yeah. It's just a back and forth situation. Yeah. It's, man. yeah. Nobody, nobody, nobody knows. Nobody Dude, knows. Nobody knows. No, no one's ever going to know. No. So now I'm not sure if this following story holds any grounds, but if it's, you know, it's driven the internet crazy at the time of its unraveling. And uh, so behold... The Russian sleep experiment. Do you know anything about this before we go too deep into it? I have no idea. Oh, my God. Shall I read like this the whole time? Please. Yes? Okay. The story recounts an experiment set in 1947 at a covert Soviet test facility. In a military-sanctioned scientific experiment, five prisoners that were deemed enemies of the state were kept in a sealed gas chamber with an experimental gas-based stimulant compound continuously administered to keep the subjects awake for 30 consecutive days. The prisoners were falsely promised that they would be set free from the prison if they completed the experiment in the specified 30 days. The subjects behaved as usual during the initial five days, talking to each other and whispering to the researchers through the one-way glass. Though it was noted that their discussions gradually became darker in the subject matter. 
After nine days, one subject began screaming uncontrollably for hours while the others did not react to his outburst. The man screamed for so long that he tore his vocal cords and was rendered mute as a result. When the second one started screaming, they prevented the researchers from looking inside by pasting torn book pages and their own feces on the porthole windows. A few days passed without the researchers being able to look inside, during which the chamber was completely silent. The researchers used the intercom to test if the subjects were still alive and got a short response of a subject expressing compliance. On the 15th day, the researchers decided to turn off the stimulating gas and reopen the chamber. The subjects did not want the gas to turn off for fear they would fall asleep. Upon looking inside, they discovered that the four surviving subjects had performed lethal and severe mutilation and disembowelment on themselves during the past days, including tearing off sections of skin and muscles, removing multiple abdominal internal organs, practicing self-cannibalism on themselves, as well as cannibalism of second subject, and allowing four inches of blood and water to accumulate on the floor by jamming paper and pieces of flesh they tore from the second subject into several drains who was found dead on the floor as soon as the chamber was opened. The subjects violently refused to leave the chamber and begged the scientists to continue administering the stimulant, murdering one soldier and severely injuring another that attempted to remove them. After eventually being removed from the chamber, all subjects were shown to exhibit extreme strength, unprecedented resistance to anesthetics and sedatives. The ability to remain alive despite lethal injuries and a desperate desire to stay awake and be given the stimulant. It was also found that if any of the subjects fell asleep, they would die. After being somewhat treated for their severe injuries, the surviving three subjects were prepared to return to the gas chamber with the stimulant by the orders of the military officials, though against the will of the researchers, with EEG monitors showing short recurring moments of brain death. Before the chamber was sealed, one of the subjects fell asleep and died, and the other subject that could speak screamed to be immediately sealed in the chamber. The military commander had ordered for three other researchers to be closed inside the chamber alongside the two remaining subjects. One researcher immediately drew his gun and killed the commander and the mute subject by shooting both of them in the head, causing the other person to flee the room. With only one surviving subject, the terrified researcher explained that he would not allow himself to be locked in a room with monsters that could no longer be called people. He desperately asked what the subject was, to which the subject smiled and identified himself and the other fallen subjects as an inherent evil inside the human mind that is kept in check by the act of sleeping. After a brief pause, the researcher shot the prisoner in the heart, and with his dying breath on the floor, the subject muttered his final words. So nearly free. What the fuck? <laughs> That's fucking spooky <laughs> shit, isn't it? What? <laughs> so this whole experiment, it just randomly popped up on online like 15 years ago on the internet. No one knows anything about it. There's no documentation that really proves a lot of this shit. And even Russia is like, we don't know anything about this. So it could be just a made up story. It could be just a made up story, but the way that it was worded, the way that it was done, had me fucking like goosebumps the entire time. And I, I just I had to include it. And I've always I've known about the Russian experiment. That's sleep, pretty badass. A sleep experiment for a very long time. There's been books about it, like a bunch of crazy shit. That is 
Wow. But it that makes crazy. Makes you think, though. think about that. Yeah. What if the reason we sleep is because if not, we become inherently evil? Yeah. You know, there's something inside of us that quells while we sleep. That is... That sounds like an episode. We are going to dive into that further. I know, we have I, got to dive into that. That further. was just a snippet of what I put in there, dude. That we have got to dive into that. Holy shit. Yeah. All right. Next up, we've got Baba Yaga. No, it's Baba Yaga. <laughs> no, I'm trying to do that That <laughs> band. What's that metal band? Wait, what's, who? We've played it before on the show. Um, What are they called? The, the guy, uh, what's his name? Ivan? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That Russian yeah. death metal band or whatever? Yeah, yeah, where it's yeah, yeah. like, <laughs> I can't even do it. It's like freaking so crazy. It's <laughs> not <laughs> like you farted. So according to Slavic tradition, Baba Yaga, also known as Baba Yaga, A-J-A-G-A, from Polish, is a supernatural person or one of three sisters with the same name. That takes the shape of a horribly disfigured and or vicious looking woman. I believe we've actually talked about Baba Yaga on the show before. Yeah, a few times. Baba Yaga is a character from folklore who flies around on a, on a mortar. Um, like a... <laughs> to me, all I think is... <laughs> <laughs> like, why are you flying around on that? <laughs> Just walking around shooting freaking mortars. <laughs> no, a mortar, like mortar and pestle, right? She carries a pestle and lives in a home that is frequently described as standing on chicken legs deep in the woods. Okay. Baba Yaga has ties with woodland fauna, okay, and she may help or harm those who come into contact with her or seek her out. She may also take on a parental role. Baba Yaga frequently appears as either a villain or a donor, or she may be completely ambiguous, according to Vladimir Propp's folktale morphology. Mm. Yeah. Andre, Andreas Johns, uh, no wait, uh, Andreas Johns? Or is it Johns? <laughs> It's probably like Bill Stevens and just spelled Johns. I don't know. Anyway, identifies Baba Yaga as, quote, one of the most memorable and distinctive fig- figures in Eastern Europe folklore and observes that she is enigmatic and often exhibits uh, striking ambiguity. John summarizes Baba Yaga as, quote, a many-faceted figure capable of inspiring researchers to see her as a cloud, moon, death, winter, snake, bird, pelican, or earth goddess, uh, totemic matriar- matriarchal ancestress, female initiator, phallic mother, or archety- uh, archetypal image. In other words, anything. Or as a tall, slender guy named Keanu Reeves who likes to kill a bunch of people. Baba Yaga. <laughs> Can't do it. <laughs> so Baba Yaga may sense and uh, mention the Ruski Duk, all right, which is Russian scent, I guess. Yes. I don't. What does that mean? They, the Russians, they have a different smell than everybody else. The Russians, you know what that smell is called? It's vodka. Nuclear weapons. <laughs> and vodka. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, but she can smell the scent of those that visit her. Okay, her nose may stick into the ceiling. <laughs> what? <laughs> Particular emphasis may be placed by some narrators on the repulsiveness of her nose, breasts, buttocks, or her vagina. That's talked about a lot in folklore. So is, she got she is, got an ugly nose, ugly boobies, ugly buttocks, and ugly wahina. Yeah, yeah, the vagina is a little uh, on the not pleasant side, apparently, according to that's scary. Hundreds of years of folklore. Let me just rephrase. Let me just say it again. Hundreds of years of folklore in Russia has talked all- about this old lady's vagina. <laughs> 
It's messed up. Russia, what are you doing, man? <laughs> In some tales, a trio of Baba Yagas appear as sisters, all sharing the same name. For example, in a version of the Maiden Tsar, collected in the 19th century by Alexander Afanasyev. Yeah. Afanasyev. 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 Yeah. I finally said it. <laughs> <laughs> um, Ivan, a handsome merchant's son, makes his way to the home of one of three Baba Yagas. He journeyed onwards, straight ahead, and finally came to a little hut. It stood in the open field, turning on chicken legs. He entered and found Baba Yaga, the bony-legged Fifi, she said. The Russian smell was never heard or nor caught sight of here, but it has come by itself. Are you here of your own free will or by compulsion, my good youth? Largely of my own free will and twice as much by compulsion. Do you know, Baba Yaga, where lies the thrice tenth kingdom? No, I do not, she said, and told him to go to her second sister. She might know. Ooh. Ooh, it gets a little weirder. Yeah. So Ivan walks for some time before encountering a small hut identical to the first hut mm. with the chicken legs. Oh, yeah. This one had, I don't know, donkey legs? Uh, no. They all have chicken legs? No. This one has bad wahina? Yes. Ugh. This Baba Yaga makes the same comments and asks the same question as the first, and Ivan asks the same question. The second Baba Yaga does not know either, okay, and directs him to the third but says that if she gets angry with him and wants to devour you, take three horns from her and ask her permission to blow them. Blow the first one softly, the second one louder, and the third still louder. Ivan thanks her and continues on his journey. Okay? So, would you say she's horny? <laughs> it was good. It was good. I was waiting for it. That was good. After walking for some time, Ivan eventually finds the chicken-legged hut of the youngest of the three sisters turning in an open field. So it's just turning around. <laughs> Why has it got chicken legs? Because <laughs> it's constantly turning. It has no head. I don't know. It's just turning doing. around the field. The head, the head cut off. <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> like, what the fuck? This third and youngest of the Baba Yagas makes the same comment about the Russian smell before running to wet her teeth and consume Ivan. Ivan begs her to give him three horns, and she does so. The first he blows softly, the second louder, and the third louder yet. This causes birds of all sorts to arrive and swarm the hut. One of the birds is the fire bird, which tells him to hop on its back or Baba Yaga will eat him. He does so, and the Baba Yaga rushes him and grabs the fire bird by its tail. The fire bird leaves with Ivan, leaving Baba Yaga behind with a fistful of firebird feathers. The fuck are they drinking over there? <laughs> I don't fucking know, dude. What the shit? Such a weird ass shit, dude. I thought that was like kind of like a like a different take on the, like the three pigs thing or whatever, you know? Like, yeah, like, I guess. Here, my chinny chin chin. <laughs> you go to the first one. I don't know anything. Go see my second sister. Go to the second one. Ah, <laughs> ah, I have ugly vagina. Go talk to third. Third one's like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. what the fuck? <laughs> and then I saw Firebird yeah. pop up, and I immediately thought of Smokey and the Bandit. That's what I thought it too was a fucking train exam coming through. I was like, yeah, all right. (laughs) (laughs) All of a sudden, Baba Yaga's like, come here. here." Uh -uh." (laughs) This train exam comes flying through. (laughs) Just wrote a new movie, folks. (laughs) We're doing this. All right. So, this is uh, the next one is uh, Golovsov Ravine. Okay. Between (coughs) Kolomensko 
Yeah, that's actually okay. how you say that, yeah. Kolomensko Hill and Dyakovo Hill in Moscow, Russia, is a steep ravine known as Golosov Ravine. At the bottom of the ravine, there are numerous springs and a brook. A neo-pagan shrine built around two, uh, two revered holy stones, I love how it's in quotes, is located higher up the ravine on its left side. Okay, we got that. It's a ravine. It's a ravine. Okay. It's cute. It's pleasant. There's just a pagan shrine hanging out. It's got a little bu- bubbling brook. Just... <laughs> I don't know if that sounded like a bubbling brook. It sounded like a dog looking at its butt. <laughs> Whatever. Since ancient times, this ravine has always been shrouded in mystery. There was something unexplained that happened here all the time. For example, one amazing story was recorded in the 17th century sources. In 1621, a small unit of the Crimean Tatars cavalry turned up at the walls of the Tsar's place in Kolomna. I don't know if you saw that, but it's it's pronounced taters. It's not taters. That one, <laughs> I know that one is not taters. Is it taters? No. That'd be hilarious. The Crimean taters. <laughs> it was immediately surrounded by the soldiers who guarded the entrance to the palace. Being lost and de- uh, lost and disoriented, the horsemen claimed to be part of the armies of the Crimean Khan, Devlet the First Garay, that raided Moscow in 1571. I'm just reading the words here, folks. Yeah, that was just the name of the army, yeah. that's all. Sensing defeat and wanting to avoid capture, they retreated into what we know today as Golovsov Ravine, where they were quickly enveloped in thick mist. Oh. Spending what seemed to them like only a few minutes in trying to find their way back, they found that 50 years had passed. One of the captives named Mirza said that the mist was unusual, of light green color, but none of them paid attention to it in fear of the chasing. Uh, y'all just found nuclear waste. That's what you did. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> I'm just saying. Sorry, I keep going. Sorry. So Tsar Mikhail Fedorovich ordered an inquiry, which revealed that the men, quote, probably told the truth. <laughs> the pro- probably, I don't know. I just, you say mist? I mean, maybe. They had even um, uh, they had even old-fashioned arms and armor, mostly of the 1560s and 1570s. So, in other words, they had older stuff. So, 50-year-old gear, which right. is crazy. This wasn't the only reported case of time travel that took place in the vicinity of Golosov Ravine. In the 19th century, such cases were documented by the Moscow province's police office. One such story was published in the newspaper. Oh, boy. Moscow, Moscovki, Moscovki, Vermosti. Dude, you're like nailing half. I am, dude. Jesus. Are you sure you're not Russian? Maybe. (laughs) (laughs) Probably. Yuri's helping you out a lot. Yuri is is most. He's here in spirit. (laughs) With with large amount of space room. Yes, large, large, lots of space room. (laughs) So that uh, so this happened in the, the newspaper in July of 1832. So two local villagers, Arhip Kuzmin and Ivan Bochkerev, ah, Bochkerev, there it is, who had a big night out uh, at a neighboring village, you know, they got toe up, mm-hmm. decided to take a shortcut home through Golosov Ravine. Okay. Just got their vodka. Just singing, I don't know, Russian songs. I don't even know what I was just doing right there. I'm sorry, I'm going to back up on that one. <laughs> Show me the way to go home. I'm tired and I want to go to bed. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, hey, look, ravine. <laughs> so a blanket of thick greenish fog settled over the ravine, and all of a sudden a corridor appeared out of the fog. The men walked into it and met giant human-like creatures there who tried to show them the way back by signs. A few minutes later, the villagers left the ravine and moved further. 
When they eventually came to their village, they discovered that 20 years had passed. Their wives and children had been significantly aged and hardly recognized him. The incident was reported to the police. An investigation was launched during which one of the time travelers disappeared in the fog again without a trace. For centuries, giant human-like creatures have been periodically spotted in and around Golosov Ravine. Such cases were recorded not only in the ancient and medieval chronicles, but also in the Soviet periodical press. Large, hairy, man-like creatures are most likely identified with Leshy, a sort of Bigfoot from Slavic mythology. Oh, okay. Yeah. They, we have our own Bigfoot. Yes. Yes. And Fuck you, Mr. Moody. <laughs> Who is uh, more of a more of a man than an ape, and is more a woodland spirit than a mortal being? Okay, so that this is Leshy, right? Right? Is that his name? Okay, whatever. Yeah. In 1926, a policeman reported seeing quote a giant hairy wild man, who was allegedly over two meters tall. That's six and a half feet. Yeah. In Golosov Ravine, the policeman pulled out his pistol, but the creature instantly disappeared into the fog. Ooh. Local school children were even involved in the search for the unusual guest, but any attempts to locate and catch, them, uh, catch him were unsuccessful. However, this unusual case made the front page of one of the country's metropolitan dailies under the headline, Pioneers Catching Leshy, written by the journalist A. Ryazanstev. I just think it's funny that the police couldn't catch him, so they hired a bunch of elementary school kids to go chase him down. <laughs> Listen, I have idea. <laughs> we haven't found shit, but... If we get the children to go in, when they come out, they're going to be 20 years old and we put them to work. Look what we've done. <laughs> That's actually good. It's a win-win situation. <laughs> and then they would help us get all the nuclear weapons. <laughs> now let's talk about Anatoly Moskvin. 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 Right? Moskvin. Right. Anatoly, which is uh, Anthony over there, right? I think so. I, yeah. believe, I believe that's I right. It's the, the... Anthony. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So, Anatoly loved history. Hey, us too. <laughs> he spoke 13 languages, traveled extensively, taught at the college level, and was a journalist in uh, Nizhny Nov- Nov- Novgorod, okay, Russia's fifth largest city. I think we mentioned that earlier. We did. Uh, Moxvin Anton- Antonali here. Antonali? <laughs> Anatoly. Anatoly was also a self-proclaimed expert on cemeteries and dubbed, him- dubbed himself a... Necropolist. A necropolist. Never heard of that. Motherfucker, you're making words up. So one colleague called his work priceless. Okay. So he's a necropolist. Yeah. Somebody who takes a little little bit of enjoyment in the dead. Now, is that somebody that goes in and does the the scratching of the... uh, Nope. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) You know something I don't know. Just keep on going. So Anatoly Moskvin was known as the ultimate expert on cemeteries in his city of Nizhny Novgorod in Russia. He attributes his obsession with the macabre to a 1979 incident when uh, the historian was, when this guy was only 13 years old. And Anatoly uh, shared uh, the story in Necrologies, a weekly publication dedicated to cemeteries and obituaries to which he was an avid contributor. Oh, sounds like the start of a serial killer. Okay. <laughs> the look on your face. In his last article for the publication, dated October 26th of 2011, not too far, that's, that's nope. just around 11 years ago, yep. 
Anatoly divulged how a group of men in black suits, uh, men, men in black, men, men in black suits stopped him on the way home from school. KGB. The, you, either that or it's, here come the men in black. <laughs> I wish. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, they were en route to the funeral of an 11-year-old, uh, Natasha Petrova, and dragged young Anatoly along to her coffin where they forced him to kiss the girl's corpse. Okay, pause. So... He's a little boy. Little boy, he says that these men in black picked him up, took him to a funeral, and made him kiss the corpse of a little girl. Okay. This is actually, like, legit okay. shit found in newspapers right. and shit. It's fucking weird. Anatoly um, wrote, quote, I kissed her once, then again, then again. The girl's grieving mother then put a wedding ring on Anatoly's finger and a wedding ring on her dead daughter's finger. My oh boy, quote, my strange marriage with Natasha Petrova was useful. This is Anatoly said in the article. Uh, he said it led to a belief in magic and ultimately a fascination with the dead. Whether the story is even true is kind of aside the point here, as his uh, disturbing thoughts would go unchecked for more than thirty years. Anatoly's interest in the corpse kissing incident never stopped. He began to wander through cemeteries as a schoolboy. Man, oh my god. <laughs> his macabre interest even informed his studies, and uh, um, Anatoly eventually earned an advanced degree in Celtic studies, a culture whose mythology often blurs the lines between life and death. It does. Celtic or Celtic? <clears throat> I say Celtic, but it's typically pronounced Celtic. Right, so the basketball team in Boston, they are the Boston Celtics. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Doesn't make sense, right? Nope. We got to pick one. Someone's got to pick one. (laughs) Pick one! Anyway, so the historian also mastered some 13 languages, like we mentioned before, and was a uh, many times published scholar. I mean, 13 languages? That's ridiculous. Dude was a smart cat, man. I I can't even speak the one I know. You know what I mean? I don't even know a full language. You hear me talking right now? (laughs) So meanwhile, Anatoly roamed from cemetery to cemetery. Uh, Quote, I don't think anyone in the city knows them better than I do. He said of his extensive knowledge of the region's dead. From 2005 to 2007, Anatoly claimed to have visited 752 cemeteries in Nizhny Nov- uh, Novgor- ah, Novgorod. That's a lot of cemeteries. They've had 51 million people die in the last 50 years. Ah, truth. Unexpectedly. Truth, you know truth, what I mean? Truth, truth. He took detailed notes on each one and delved into the histories of those buried there. The hands-on historian claimed to have walked up to 20 miles per day, sometimes sleeping on hay bales and drinking rainwater from puddles. Well, at least he's sleeping so that freaking evil doesn't come out. Right, yeah. So then he posted a documentary series of his travels and discoveries entitled Great Walks Around Cemeteries and What the Dead Said. These continue to be published in a weekly newspaper. He even said he spent one night sleeping in a coffin ahead of a deceased person's funeral. Anatoly's observations were more than just observations, however. In 2009, locals began to discover the graves of their loved ones desecrated, sometimes being completely dug up. Russian Interior Ministry spokesman General Valery uh, Grubakin told CNN that initially, quote, Our leading theory was that it, it was done by some extremist organizations. We decided to beef up our police units and set up groups composed of our most experienced detectives who specialize in extremist crimes. But for nearly two years, the Interior Ministry's leads, they went nowhere. 
Graves continued to be desecrated, and nobody knew what the fuck was going on. Then, a break in the investigation came following a terrorist attack at uh, Domada... Oh, my boy. <laughs> Domada... Uh, <laughs> Domadadovo. Yeah, there you go. Domadadovo. Okay, airport in Moscow. I'm so sorry. In Moscow in 2011. So, they had a terrorist attack at the airport, 2011. Shortly afterward, authorities heard reports of Muslim graves being desecrated in Nitschdi Novgorod. Investigators were led to uh, a cemetery where someone was painting over the pictures of dead Muslims, but not damaging anything else, which is totally fucked up, but yeah, whatever. It's weird. <clears throat> this was where our boy, uh, Anatoly, was finally caught. Eight police officers went to his apartment after they apprehended him at the graves of the Muslims to gather evidence. The 45-year-old lived with his parents in a small apartment. He was reportedly lonely and something of a pack rat. Inside, authorities found life-sized, doll-like figures throughout the apartment. The figures, eh, they kind of looked like antique dolls. They wore fine and varied clothing. Some wore knee-high boots. Others had makeup uh, you know, on all, all over their faces. Uh, he, he covered in fabric and stuff. He had also hidden their hands in fabric, except uh, these, uh, these dolls... They weren't dolls at all. They were actually mummified corpses of human girls that he had gone in and dug up. When police moved one of the bodies, it played music, as if on cue. Inside the chest of many of the dolls, Anatoly had embedded music boxes. There were also photographs and plaques taken uh, off the uh, the gravestones, uh, doll-making manuals, and maps of local cemeteries strewn about the apartment. Police even discovered that the clothes worn by the mummified corpses were the clothes that they were wearing when they were buried. Investigators later found music boxes or toys inside of the bodies of the dead so that he could uh, they could uh, produce sounds when, you know, Anatoly touched them. There were also personal belongings and clothing inside some of the mummies. One mummy had a piece of her own gravestone with her name scrawled on it inside of her body. Another one contained a hospital tag with the date and the cause of the girl's death. A dried human heart was found inside a third body. Anatoly admitted that he would stuff the decayed corpses with rags. They would wrap nylon tights around their faces or fashion doll faces onto them. He would also insert buttons or toy eyes into the girl's eye sockets so that they could, quote, watch cartoons with him. The historian... Here, Anatoly said that he mostly loved his girls, though there were a few dolls in his garage that he claimed to have grown to dislike. He said he dug up the graves of girls because he was lonely. He said he was single, and the biggest dream was to have children. Russian adoption agencies wouldn't let Anatoly adopt a child because he didn't make enough money. Perhaps that was probably for the best, judging by the condition of his apartment and the obsessions with the dead. Anatoly added that he had done what he did because he was waiting for science to find a way to bring the dead back to life. In the meantime, he used a simple solution of salt and baking soda to preserve the girls' uh, their skin. He celebrated the birthdays of his dolls as if they were actually his own children. Altogether, the authorities discovered 29 life-size dolls in Anatoly Moskvin's apartment. They ranged in age from 3 all the way to 25. One corpse he kept for nearly 9 years. Well, Anatoly was charged with a dozen crimes, all of which dealt with the desecration of graves. 
The Russian media called him the Lord of the Mummies and the Perfumer. In court, Anatoly confessed to 44 counts of abusing graves and dead bodies. He said to the victim's parents, quote, You abandoned your girls. I brought them home and warmed them up. That is wild. The worst part is a lot of that all took place in his parents' apartment. And the parents were like, we thought he had a cool hobby. <laughs> At least he has friends now. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> but yeah, that's... <laughs> Mom comes in like, Ooh. what is he doing in there? Who cares? He has friends. Like, like, I don't care. He's not messed with me. <laughs> they don't eat my food. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. That is actually... Like, I've actually... Uh, I read that story um, a long time ago, to be honest with you. Oh, not long, because... Just happened, what a decade ago? Yeah, it was about but, 10 years but ago that's when they found wild. Out that is at, the worst part about not the worst part, because it's definitely not the worst part, but the most, um, I guess, disturbing part mm -hmm. is that it's real. Yeah, it's legit, and we know it's legit. Mm -hmm. Like this happened. Yep. Oh boy! All right, so now we're talking about the black Volvo, which you can actually buy at your local Volvo dealer. Oh, wait, Volga. 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 Yeah. Ah. I'm glad you went Volvo and didn't go the other way. I was <laughs> like, oh, The God. black Volva. <laughs> maybe that. Maybe that's what happened with ba uh, ba uh, Baba Yaga. She had a black Volva. <laughs> <laughs> so black Volga refers to an urban legend widespread in Poland, Hungary, Russia, Belarus, uh, Ukraine, Greece, and Mongolia, mainly in the 1960s and 70s. The legend refers to a black, or in some versions, red, Gaz 21 or Gaz 24 car that was allegedly used to abduct and murder people. So just keep in mind, 1960s and 1970s. What was really prevalent during that time? What's, what What agency was really prevalent during that time? Uh, 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 Three's Company. Close. No, you right? No, am I wrong? No, wait. Uh, is this with the KGB? Oh, yes. KGB is for the fucking, fucking, fucking. Yeah. Yeah. I actually knew what that stood for really uh, a long time ago, only because of Spies Like Us. Oh yeah, oh, yeah I yeah, love yeah, that yeah. movie. Yeah, have you actually yeah, seen that I've movie? Seen the movie you, yes, you have. I have. Yes. Yay! Hold on. It's a great now. Movie. Rock button. <laughs> <laughs> Yay! Yeah, I've seen it a few times actually. I love that damn. Speaking movie. of, uh oh, I dove into a new movie today. <gasps> and at work, while I was working on a bunch of uh, stuff, I started watching Fight Club. I'm actually like really fucking, you know, I haven't finished it yet, but I'm like halfway hey, wait, wait, through wait, wait, wait. it. Shh, shh, shh. First rule of Fight Club. We don't talk about Fight Club. All right, moving on. All right. So this is a car, apparently, that was used to abduct and murder people, right? Mm -hmm. Of course. Obviously, the 70s were also in the height of like <laughs> serial murders and serial yeah, serial murders. And the main shit. reason that is, and remember, the serial murders have been going on for a long time, and yep. they probably still are to a degree. In fact, we talked about the one in California, which may potentially be happening, and I haven't seen any new news on it, no. so I don't know. So if I'm talking out of line right now, I apologize. But we didn't have uh, all the forensic technology that we have now. Right. So, of course, it kind of just went cuckoo, you know? Yeah, a little bit. So according to different versions, it was driven by communist secret police, Russian mafia, or Satan himself. <laughs> Satan's like, no, man, don't put me in that. <laughs> I drive, or, I drive a Maserati, baby. In some cases, Stephen King. Right. He's like, man, you all got to stop that. <laughs> Seriously. You see that car? 
You see that? You see that? You think I could? Okay. No. Let me just be honest with you. Do you know what a guys is? Like guys, twenty one or guys, twenty four? It literally is. You like, mean it's the guys? It's not not, not, not the guys. <laughs> the guys and the guys. <laughs> you remember when you were over in Ireland? Those tiny ass cars you were driving? Yes. Imagine that, but black. Oh no. Yeah. Oh no, baby, I ain't going in that car. <laughs> no hell no. Listen, down south, you know what I'm saying? Down in hell, where I'm hanging out doing my thing. You know what I mean? You should see my cars. They bad ass. You think I'm gonna drive a guys? No. Satan's be the guy driving around in the freaking old ass continental. <laughs> Absolutely. Boat. Absolutely. He'd be pulling up like you know what I mean? Just rolling. Oh, Not yeah. that I believe in Satan himself, but I, I do think that he would drive something better than a <laughs> a little car you're scrunched inside. <laughs> right. So the car is described as having white wheel rims. Ooh, pretty sweet. White curtains, huh? Or other white elements. A black car with white white wheel rims. Kind of like white, white walls. walls. It's got white walls. Basically, white walls, but the rims themselves are also white as well, too. And then like, This actually sounds pretty sweet. To so be like back, back in the day when they wanted privacy in cars, instead of getting tint on the windows, they would actually have curtains inside the vehicle itself, and then the curtains would drop down, and those curtains would be white in this instance. Um, Those are called hearses. Okay. Is that what this is? <laughs> it's just a fucking hearse? Is that what it is? Yeah, but they would catch the body and then... Put it in the, the bag. wheels go up. The wheels go up. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> so, um, so this impression was also caused by the active use of the passenger car of the Gorky automobile plant Gaz M1 by the NKVD bodies during the years of mass repression. So basically, that just meant that the original Gaz M1 was actually a much larger vehicle, almost kind of like the 1920s style, like mafia style cars. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, like the Studebaker or yeah, something yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, exactly or, like those. Or Buick or something. Right. So it was kind of like that style, and then it just shrunk into this tiny ass little Mini Cooper esque car. And that's what happens when you wash your car in hot water. Yeah. Always it shrinks up. Cold water. That's right. Always. Cold water is for clothes, not for boys. The thing. <laughs> for the sake of saving money during almost all of its time, uh, all the time of its release, or of the time of re- re- its relief, the M1 was only available with black paint, which emphasized the ominous image of the car. That's kind of crazy. Well, Henry Ford kind of authorized that because he said you can have any color car on this lot that you want as long as it's black. It's an actual quote by Henry Ford. I don't know if you knew that or not, but you're welcome. Word for word. Supposedly, victims <laughs> were kidnapped and then murdered by the perpetrators to use their blood as a cure for rich Westerners or Arabs suffering from leukemia. Oh, boy. So this is like old school, like Illuminati kind of shit. Yeah. Wow. Other variants used organ theft as the motive, combining it with another infamous legend of kidney theft by the KGB. That's what it stands for. Kidneys. Got gallbladder. Yeah. <laughs> so it stands for kidneys and gallbladder. KGB. <laughs> the legend surfaced again in the late 20th century with a BMW or Mercedes car taking the Volga's place. The black Volga was sometimes depicted with horns instead of wing mirrors. <laughs> it's amazing. It could also have the number 666 on the license plate, as well as having white windows or curtains. In this version, the driver, allegedly, you know, the devil, baby. But you know I wouldn't be called dead in that. You know what I'm saying? Of course not. Would ask passers-by for the time and kill them when they approached the car to answer. Hey, uh, rolls the window down. Hey, excuse me. Hey, excuse me. Uh, you got a second? Of um, course. Yeah, uh, just come here for a second. Oh, okay. okay. Hey, um, you know what time it is? Uh, it's... Ah! Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, still got it. 
So so basically, he's just going around and just the devil's just killing people in this black car. Yeah. I kind of want this car now. <laughs> it's so it, tiny, though. Yeah, but still, it'd be fun just to be driving around real slow with devil horns on inside and, and like just move the curtain over and just peek at people and keep going. You know what I mean? God, that'd be yeah, amazing. That'd be so crazy. That'd be amazing. In another version of the legend, the victim would die at the same time a uh, time a, a day later. Okay, so the same time a day later, so 24 hours later. But the driver would say, quote, Tomorrow you will die at this hour. However, there was an effective defense method. Whenever, uh, whenever the driver of the Black Volga asked, quote, What time is it? The person would have to answer, quote, It is God's time. Then the car would quickly vanish. Oh. Oh. <laughs> Hold on. <coughs> Roll down window. Excuse me. Uh, you know what time it is? Oh, it's God's time, baby. No, but for serious, like, I, I got a place to be. You know what I mean? I oh, it's only it. like uh, 945. <laughs> <laughs> so then there's the Volga Maniac, which I'm assuming is probably connected to this. Of course. Or at least the car, because, uh, okay. Or not at all. Right, baby. <laughs> <laughs> Russian police arrested a man in November of 2020, not even two years ago, nope. suspected of killing 26 elderly women, yeah. sometimes posing as a social worker to enter their homes before strangling them and stealing their valuables, law enforcement agencies has said. Russia's RIA news agency and other state media said investigators believe him to be a serial killer known as the Volga Maniac, who preyed on retired women living alone in 12 different regions between 2011 and 2012. Most of them were near the Volga River. Son of a bitch. <laughs> Damn it. The investigative committee that handles probes into serious crimes identified the suspect as a metal worker named Radik Tagarov, who was 38 and who was jailed for theft in 2009 and released in 2010. His lawyer could not be reached for comment. The agency said it had DNA samples linking the suspect to the killings. He was apprehended at an address in the city of Kazan, and they also said. The Vesti State Television Channel aired footage of a man it said was the suspect admitting to strangling women, a method he described as, quote, quiet, quick, and painless for them, I thought. The killer used nearby objects such as a dressing gown cord and a cable for an iron to strangle victims. And this is, again, from the RIA. Authorities had offered a reward of up to 3 million rubles, which is what, like five bucks here? Is that right? <laughs> it's actually... Uh, I'm kidding, obviously. Like, it's definitely... That's still a lot. lot of money. That's over there. That's it's gotta like be. half a million dollars or close to a million dollars, I would say. Yeah, it was a All lot right. of money for, for that. So they offered this money for information on his whereabouts and had been looking for him for years. So they just found... Less than two years ago, a serial killer over in Mother Russia. Yeah, and he's been doing it for well, a little over 10 years. Yeah, that is wild. I didn't hear about that one at all, dude. 26 women. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, there was more, but we only kind of have a certain amount of time we could be on air for, you know. Oh, boy, oh, boy, oh, boy, Russia. All right, it's the movies. The movies. And are you handling this one? 
Oh, I, I, are, shit. are we starting to do that? Now? Oh shit! Is, shit, isn't shit, that shit. what we said? Yeah, that's, mm, no. Yeah, I, mean, I got you. I got you. Yeah, you, I got you, you sure? Dog. You sure? I got you. I kind of was like hearing Yuri do this, but I mean, I can do it. Oh, if you want Yuri to do it, I can. Fuck have... yeah, I want Yuri to do this. All right, all right, Yuri, get back in here, dude. Come on. All right, so we're talking about the top ten movies. All right, the top ten extraordinary movies set in Russia that will inspire you to visit said country. Oh yeah. And and I would like to go there. I mean, I, I would too. After the the war is over with Ukraine and stuff. And this comes from InspiredByMaps.com. Yeah, it was a weird ass site, but they gave a lot of really cool thought into some of these movies. InspiredByMaps.com slash dot org slash. <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing. All right, so the first one on this list is Castaway from 2000. Right? Great movie, by the way. You've never seen it. Yeah, I have. No, have you really? Yeah, I have. Shut your face. Yeah, what's uh, what the hell's the name of the ball? It was uh, he yells it constantly with the Wilson. Yeah, Wilson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That movie was super sad. When I read the beginning of this, go ahead. But it, when no, no, I read it, I was like, wait, what? And I completely forgot about it. But yeah, go ahead. It's a great movie. Yeah. So Castaway is an American survival film directed in damn Americans. I'm just kidding. I love Americans. They buy my space rope. It's a survival film directed and produced by Robert Zemeckis. <laughs> Zemeckis, I just kid. And starring Tom Hanks. Oh, that's the guy. This Woody. Yeah. Oh, I love that guy. Helen Hunt. She was in Tornado Movie. Oh, I love that movie. Yes. And Nick, seriously, no fucking idea. Okay. Yeah. The movie tells the story of Chuck Nolan, a high-ranking official at FedEx who puts his work ahead of his personal life. You should not do that there, buddy. Mm-mm. No. Mm-mm. I sell my space rope. But family first. Of course. I make them spell sa- sell space rope. I fucked up what I say. <laughs> <laughs> While flying with a cargo plane, he gets caught in a storm. When part of the payload explodes, the plane crashes into the Pacific Ocean. Oh, horrible. It's very bad. Chuck manages to escape from the plane as it sinks and washes up on an island. While his loved ones continue their lives under the assumption that he is dead, he devises ways to survive and escape the island. It's a great movie. Have you seen this? Oh, oh, yes. You have seen yeah. Oh, yeah. It's a good movie. He has ball. Yes. He has ball. It uh, has hand on front. And ass on the back. I don't remember. Why? You would, um, of course, remember ass. Yeah, that's very weird. Good movie. Go see it. <laughs> this next one is Sputnik from 2020. Yeah, it's very recent. Sputnik is a Russian science fiction horror film directed by Igor Abramenko. In his feature, the directorial debut. Oh. Yes, that's right. He's my friend. Oh, yeah? Yes. You guys are dinner a lot? Meh, he's kind of weird. Oh. <laughs> so, I don't hang out too much, you know. Yeah, a little too weird. He has this weird little black car with white wheels. Oh, white yeah. curtains too? You've been in. I have, actually. <laughs> <laughs> the movie stars uh, Piotr Fyodorov. Uh, Fedor Bandarachuk <laughs> and Oksana Akashina. The film takes place in the Soviet Union in the year 1983. Not a great place to be at that time. Mm-mm. Just saying. Yeah, a little rough. Astronaut Constant- Constantine <laughs> is the sole survivor of space mission. He returns to Earth and in doing so brings with him an alien that has lodged itself inside his body. Wait, I've seen this movie many, many times. <laughs> Just saying, it sounds an awful lot like other movie. During the night, the alien leaves his body to feed on helpless victims. Wait, does it come back? 
Constantine ends up in a secret laboratory where neurophysiologist Tatiana starts studying Constantine and the alien. Filming on Sputnik took place in and around Moscow. Awesome. And most scenes were filmed at the Shamyakin or and Avchidikov Institute of Bioorganic Chemistry. The main center of physical, ah, physical, chemical, but this is hard. <laughs> physical, chemical, biology, and biotechnical, by bi fucking technicolor. <laughs> That's why I wanted you to do it. <laughs> it's hard enough. <laughs> anyway, so I, it says it wasn't well received. No, it really wasn't. Yeah, but they uh, apparently it was beautiful in the way it looks or whatever. Yeah. I mean, it sounds just like that movie with uh, Ryan Reynolds. Life. Thing. Yeah. yeah, with Jake Gyllenhaal and Ryan Reynolds. And Alien. Fucking amazing. Oh, I'm sorry. Life was an amazing-ass movie, though. I mean, it was, well, you also... He died at the very beginning of it, all right? I know, I'm just He saying. was the first one to die. I cried a little bit, but yeah, he was... I figured. Yeah, it was... Anyways. <laughs> all right, so the next one is The Bourne Supremacy from 2004. The Bourne Supremacy is an American action thriller film featuring Robert Ludlum's Jason Bourne character and was preceded by The Bourne Identity in 2002, itself a movie made in Greece. Yeah, I completely forgot about that. Yeah. It's a good movie. I actually enjoyed all of these. I did too. The uh, Did you watch the new one the, with uh, what, the Jack Reacher dude or whatever? The looking, the, looking motherfucker. No, what? No. Jack Reacher's totally... It's the same concept. Yeah, it's totally the same concept. But, but it's yeah. it's it's different. No, yeah. it's um the guy that plays uh, Hawkeye. What's his, what the hell's his name? Wait, he was the guy who played in the... the in the, the Newborn? Born? Yeah. Oh, shit. Hey, by the way, since uh, we're going to break into the Moscow Mule since oh. we're finishing up here. Fuck yeah, dude. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck yeah, bro. <laughs> so, yeah. um, I, I Again, I can't, can't remember his damn name off the top of my head right now. But um, it was okay. So, anyway, that's the Bourne Supremacy. Yeah, we've all seen that. Yeah, it's good. Uh, this one, Burnt by the Sun from 1994. Uh, Burnt by the Sun is a Russian-French drama film by director and screenwriter Nikita Mikhailkov. Mikhailkov. Yeah, sure. And starring Oleg Minishkov, uh, Nikita Mikhailkov, and Ingerbora. Oh, my God. <laughs> Don't even worry about it. Just go on. Nope, nope. Got to do it. Um, <laughs> Dapkonate. Dapkonate. <laughs> The film received an Academy Award for Best Foreign Language Film in 1984. Why have I not seen this then? The story takes place in Russia in the year of 18, or 1936, where the hero of Russia Revolution, uh, Colonel Kotov, spends an idyllic summer at his vacation home with his young wife, his six-year-old daughter Nadia, and other relatives and friends. The calm summer changes dramatically with the unannounced visit of cousin Mitya from Moscow, a real charmer who impresses the women. Ooh. He also takes over little Nadia with his games and piano playing. But Kotov is not that easily fooled and knows that something is up. Yeah, this doesn't sound like something I would watch. No, I don't know. Okay, so that's Burnt by the Sun. Anyway. Uh, 1990's The Russia House is the next one. It's an American spy film directed by Fred Shep. <laughs> Shepep. It looks like Pepsi for some reason. <laughs> it's uh, Sh Shapisi. Uh, Shapisi. Fred Shapisi. How do you have... Like your last name, Chapisi, and your first name, Fred. Yeah, it doesn't really Unless work. it's Frederico Chapisi. Yeah, this is a big ass movie, though. Yeah, Sean Connery. Oh, Sean Connery. Yes. This is my movie. Do you like this? It's the hunt for the Russia house. <laughs> Welcome to the Russia October. <laughs> Welcome 
to Alcatraz. Oh, no, it's it's The Rock. The Rock. <laughs> um, this has got Michelle Pfeiffer in it. Yeah. And Roy Scheider. And if you're not familiar with Roy Scheider, he was the guy that was on the boat in Jaws. In, I think, all the Jaws. Well, no, I think it was in two or three. Wait, the main guy in Jaws? That skinny dude or the guy who... The guy with the glasses, yeah. It's going to do. Yeah. That's Roy Scheider? Aye. Holy shit. Yeah. Okay. Not like Rob Schneider. That's a little That's bit different. That's what I thought. I, at first, I was like, that doesn't look like Rob that Schneider. That would have been an entirely different movie back then. <laughs> you can do it. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, Jaws. <laughs> <laughs> totally different movie. So uh, this movie is about three notebooks that are believed to contain Russian military secrets. These notebooks come in the possession of a British reporter during a Russian book conference. The British Secret Service then start to wonder whether the information contained in the notebooks is actually reliable. They call in reporter Barley Blair, horrible name, mm-hmm. who has a lot of experience with Russians, uh, the Russians and the Russian language. I have a funny feeling right. that was Roy Scheider. Yeah, I, maybe he probably was a guy with a bad name. Maybe. Uh, 1965's War and Peace is the next one. One of the largest books I ever attempted to... I don't know if you've ever seen uh, like an actual copy of War oh, and Peace. Oh, yeah. I've actually read uh, about half of it. Uh, I, I, I picked it up and started, and I was like, nah. I got about 300 pages into it, and then I completely wanted... That's to not even close to halfway. Nope. It's uh, like 2,000 pages? It's like bigger than that. Yeah. It's, it's huge. Yeah. It is huge. So, yeah. War and Peace, Russian... Ro- uh, you guys know what this is. Russian romantic drama film. Well, it's based off of whatever... Um, who, uh, let's see here. The film is a retelling of Leo Tolstoy's epic novel of Napoleon's invasion of Russia and is widely considered as being one of the most expensive and longest films of all time and having some of the most elaborate battle scenes ever filmed. What? I think it's a six-hour film, if I'm not mistaken. Shut the front door. <laughs> Honestly, I think it's a six-hour film. Like, no. Like, what? I'll, I'll double-check yeah. and Google that. Look into that. As far as I know, that's what it is. Get out of here. What was it, like a made-for-TV movie or something like that? Uh... Join us next week for the next nine weeks to, as we watch War and Peace. No, I'm, I'm going to say it's probably, what, two and a half hours, three hours? Uh, Three and a half hours. Shut the fuck up. It's still too long. Um, that was... Unless it's a Marvel movie, and I don't want to <laughs> sit through two, three and a half hours of anything. Yeah, it was actually... 1965's was 507 minutes. That's too much. That's a long... Too much. Well, I mean, the book is also... And they probably cut out like, I don't know, nine tenths of the book because. Yeah. But 1965's version was 507 minutes long. They made another version in 2016. It was three and a half hours. That's stupid. So they took this fucking. I mean, what, what, what the hell is 500 minutes? That's not three hours. It's 180 minutes. Oh. That's six hours long, dude. <laughs> is it really 500 minutes? 507 minutes long. 507 minutes long. Get the... F- what? So, let's see. So, let's, uh, see. let's do math. I'm doing it right now. Oh, yeah, you get the calculator. That's eight, almost nine hours, dude. Jesus Christ! Eight and three quarters of an hour long. I'm good. Eight and a half hours. I'm out. <laughs> That's a whole work day, dude. <laughs> you Can you imagine? Just sitting there like, oh, God. <laughs> you couldn't pay me to watch War and no, Peace. Nope, no, I'm not doing it. No, I mean, nope. all the Marvel movies. Yes, that's different. Response, that's different. It's totally different. That's different. I could literally <laughs> spend the rest of my life watching those back-to-back. So, yes, And yeah. I kind of do. But uh, the next one on our list is The Love of Liszt from 1970. It's a Hungarian-Russian musical drama film uh, produced and directed by uh, Merton Keleti. Based on the bi- uh, biography of the Hungarian composer and pianist Franz Liszt. Ooh. The movie stars Imre Sinkovitz, 
Aha. Ariadna. I want to say Ariana, but it's Ariadna. Ariadna. Shingalai. And Singor Pesci. Oh, is that like Joe Pesci's like sister or something, you think? Oh, it's his son. No, it's not. Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> He's like, hey, what the fuck did I tell you? <laughs> so the film tells the story of Franz Liszt, who defeats renowned pianist Thalberg at a piano competition in a distinguished saloon of Paris. Through his playing, he wins the favors and later the hand of the Countess de Agult. De Agult. The goat? I guess. Uh. A daughter named Cosima is born in, the, uh, in their marriage, and Liszt gets more well-known, and Marie decides to introduce him to the circle of artists. Yeah, like, okay. Honestly, yeah. like a boring movie. Yeah. But Next on the list is In the Forest of Siberia from 2011. It's a French survival film directed by Safi Nabu and starring Raphael Poissonaz and Evgene. Man, this the episode was hard enough, and the movies are even worse. <laughs> Evgene Sidikin. <laughs> Sidikin. I'm going to sure. say Sidikin. I like it. The movie is an adaptation of Sylvain Tessin's book, The Consolations of the Forest, published in 2011. So they had a book in 2011 and just made a movie right afterwards? Apparently. It's just because they don't have any idea how to make movies anymore. Nope. They all, it all has to come off of books or, or it's gotta reboots. Have something from somewhere. Yep. Yeah. The film tells the story of Teddy, who decides to move away from the noise of the world and settle in a cabin on the frozen shores of Lake Bacal to satisfy his need for freedom. One evening, when he loses his way in a uh, snowstorm, he is rescued by Alexei, a Russian on the run, who has been living hidden for years in the Siberian forests. A close friendship quickly develops between these two men with their great contrasts. See, this seems like the exact opposite of that movie with, uh, was it John Travolta and uh, the dude from Men in Black? The old guy. The, the what, what, you, what? Was that was Tommy Lee Jones? I believe it's Tommy Lee Jones and John Travolta, if I'm not mistaken. It's called like something on like on the hunt or in the hunt or something like that. And it's literally this old veteran and this freaking serial killer who are literally trying to murder each other the entire time. It is one of the best movies I've seen with the one of the oldest casts. It was amazing. I think I know what you're talking about. I gotta. I do. Oh, it, I gotta was John Travolta bald in it? Yes, he he was like your hair. He was uh, very very very. What the fuck, you trying to say? You look good, bro. Hey, and you sing very good too. Hey, baby, listen, I drive a Lincoln. Just, <laughs> just, just say Sandy for me. <laughs> what? Just say Sandy for me. Oh, Sandy. <laughs> Hold on, let me figure that out. Uh, the next quick. one is here is while you're looking that up is Devil's Pass from 2013. Is a Russian Finnish found footage a horror film directed by Riddy Harlan and starring Holy Holy Holly Goss, Matt Stokoe. And Luke Albright. The movie is based upon the Dyatlov Pass incident, a real-life event. And we, we know what this is. Yes. Yeah, you guys know what that is. We've done that. We've talked about it so many damn times. Oh, my God. It's killing season. John Travolta and Robert De Niro. Oh, okay. That, that is movie. Robert De Niro and Tommy Lee Jones couldn't be. They're both old. That's they are. It. That's all I That's it. That's all I can think of. Yes. They were just both That's old, it. and they both kind of had this, like, face to them. You know what I mean? Yeah. They're just, what? Very, like... <laughs> God, I can't wait for our video to be up. Oh, <laughs> video's coming soon, folks. But oh my um, God. I think we've decided that uh, instead of posting stuff all the time up on uh, like YouTube and stuff like that, we're going to wait until after the uh, Halloween special. Yes. Because, uh, we, you know, the studio is going to look nice and spooky. Yes, we don't want to give away too much spookiness. Right. Very sneaky, sir. Yes. So the next one on the list is The Barber of Siberia from 1998, and it is a Russian film directed by Nikita Mikhailov. 
and starring Julia Armand, Oleg Menshikov, and Alexei Pentryko. Pentryko. Sure, whatever. The movie was screened uh, out of a competition in the 1999's uh, Cannes Film Festival. The film tells the story of a woman who in uh, early 1900s Russia uh, first helps a man who might be her father and then falls in love with a cadet who gets exiled uh, to Siberia. Again, I'm not, none of these even yeah, sound. None of those really sound anything. See, and like, that's the last one. Thank yeah. fucking God. Yeah, that was, uh, it was an interesting list. Yeah. 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 I didn't realize Castaway started off in Russia, though. That's what I thought was kind of cool. It's very Russian. Yeah. It's very, very good. Yes. Yeah, very good. So anyway, those are the movies for the week. This episode has been a long one. And, well, it's, we're actually recording it ahead of time, ahead of schedule. Yeah, a little because bit. Because we've, uh, well... We have plans coming up. We have plans coming up. And uh, you, you'll find out hopefully soon enough. If not, oh well. Yeah, you'll find out. We got things going on. Let's just say that uh, we got a trip coming up, but it's kind of important. So Kind of important. We've got yeah. some meetings with some higher-ups in some higher places. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, the, the What's the guy that sang that song? It was a country singer. What the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> I have friends in low places. That's the guy who sings with the bars. I was way the fuck off. Garth Brooks? Yeah, that guy. <laughs> You're not allowed to talk anymore. <laughs> what the fuck is going on? <laughs> I got friends in low places. I was thinking I got friends in high places. That's yeah. what I was thinking. Yeah. Nope. nope. I was that's, way off. That's not it. Yep. Hey, how you doing? <laughs> <laughs> so do us a favor. Make sure to stop over to our official website, themidnighttrainpodcast.com. At our website, you can buy yourself some super sweet, super sweet. merchandise and uh, at our store. And you can also, you know, listen, we're actually reconfiguring the website yeah we're working on it now it's going to be you know new and updated and whatnot and uh you're still going to be able to find some cool stuff up there and if there's stuff oh, you yeah. want let us know Do period it. If there's stuff you're like man i really want a midnight train flag. Flag. ball gag you know what i mean like whatever <laughs> i i said flag he says ball gag you see where we're at all I'm right just saying yeah it's possible you okay. never know can i get one i mean maybe okay we're gonna see what we could do <laughs> so in the meantime, go over there and click on sponsors and go check out Dr. Squatch Soap. Do it. Because it's just amazing, and I love it. Except I will say that, and I think I mentioned this before, so I actually was, like, using one bar, and it didn't have any of the, the like, uh, uh, exfoliants. Yeah, the abrasiveness to it or yeah. whatever. And so I actually, like, put that one down and went and got one just to use just because, exp- oh, yeah. God, I love it. Yeah. Oh. Anyway, it's amazing. It smells great. It's made right here in the United States. No offense, Russia. And it's made of all natural ingredients, not cheaply made or harmfully mass produced. And you can get 20% off your first subscription. Get on over to themidnighttrainpodcast.com. Click on sponsors and do that. There is a code there. Use that code and get 20% off your first subscription. Do it. If you like what you've heard from us, consider being a producer of the show by heading over to, of course, themidnighttrainpodcast.com, clicking on that little Patreon button. In fact, it's rather large at the moment. Yeah. And uh, anyway, it's there. Or you can go to patreon.com forward slash themidnighttrainpodcast. For as little as five bucks a month, you can get all kinds of cool stuff, but it's mostly about the bonuses and the upcoming live Streaming. Oh, yeah, of the Halloween spooky. Halloween and more because we're going to be doing those a lot more oh, often, yeah, I think. Especially so. next year's Columbus Day or Natives Day. Oh. Yes. Wow. We're going to get naked. I was more so thinking, like, you know, Thanksgiving. Oh, yeah, that too. And we should just sit here and just eat turkey the whole time. Talk not even, not even talk. We're not going to talk. We're just just smash. Oh, the fuck yeah, dude. <laughs> Everyone, like, <"Ugh." laughs> oh, you, you've got gravy on your face. 
So anyway, get over there, sign up for that stuff. And uh, I mean, first of all, you're supporting the show and it yes. means the world to us. But you are going to get all the bonuses and all the cool stuff. And you are going to help out a very amazing cause. Oh, yeah. What cause? That would be the Save the Music Foundation. Oh, amazing. Okay. Because music is huge for us and for, for Logan and myself. It's just a very big part of our lives. And that's what we're doing right before we started the episode. Yeah. We're working on music. That's right. Yeah. So their mission is to help students, schools, and communities re, uh, reach their full potential through the power of making music. As one of the leading music foundations in the U.S., they support their partner communities in three ways. By donating musical instruments and musical technology, uh, providing support services for teachers, and advocating for music education. And it really does help out a lot. And we're going to give every month, we're giving 20% of our merchandise sales and our Patreon donations from this show. Oh, yeah. Each month. Every month. So support the show, get tons of bonuses, and Jeez. help a great cause. Do it. And if listen, if you want to go and donate personally, you're more than welcome to. I, I seriously go for it. Yeah. Um, but you're not gonna get the bonuses. That's all I'm saying. Oh damn. <laughs> Just go to savethemusic.org. All right. Do that. All right. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, uh, Spotify, Apple Music, uh, Stitcher, Podbean. Anywhere you can find us, we're there. Oh yeah, we and, are. And if you can rate us. Please rate us, unless it's not going to be the best rating you could possibly think of. Because then, well, fuck you. No, I'm just kidding. Well, at, at that point, it's <laughs> all, all hate mail to Logan Dodds. That's right. Yeah, yeah. The, the minute train. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so, no, seriously, like, uh, give us a review. You know, um, get in there and give us five stars. If they have stars, if thumbs up, whatever it is. Like, we greatly appreciate all the new listeners that lighten like. us up. Yes, anything like that. Like, subscribe on YouTube for sure. Yes, please. Because, yeah, we're trying to get on oh, yo. get on up. We're going to be on there every week, bro. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's going to be badass. Oh, yeah. So we can't thank you guys enough for all the love and support that we have received to everyone. Seriously, it's so amazing. And, uh, well, except there's some people that get a little bit more love. Oh, who's that? Well. Do I get more love? Because I'm your kid? Or from... As compared to who, them? I mean, anyone in general. Compared to the first-class passengers? Oh, shit, we can't compare myself to them. That's what I'm saying. I can't. Yeah, you can't, can't compare me to I, them at like, all. That's like comparing you to, like, your siblings. Yeah. I can't. I can't do it. Uh-huh. I, I can totally do it. <laughs> 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 to our superhero, amazing first-class Passenger, Patreon, producers, whatever the fuck we want to call you guys. You're so amazing, and we thank you tremendously from the bottom of our hearts. To George DeJesus, Mega McTerry, Tomislav Sabota, Amanda Dens, Chris Lucas, Zachary Danielson, oh. <laughs> Joseph Eramo, Margaret Dempsey, Kelly Ryan, Nathan Diekman, Stacey Lukonen, Nicholas Cooper, Caitlin McKinney, Trent Scott, Spencer Dunlap, Jacob Cook, Maggie Brothers, Miles Campbell, Brian Gunzelman, Colleen Cox. He says Cox. That's funny to me. I appreciate you helping out, Yuri. Pumpkin Escobar. Why your name Pumpkin? You realize that that's a fruit, right? It's pumpkin fruit. It's so weird thinking about a pumpkin as a fruit. The pumpkin is fruit. I don't think it's seeds. Yeah, it yeah, has yeah. seeds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not like fruit like berries no but those are good right yeah. berries or pumpkin oh pumpkin pie sounds amazing right now you know who else is amazing pumpkin escobar oh I yeah, say that. yeah you see what i did yeah. to mac Dordy, turner cox oh not do we have two cocks though we've a lot of cocks in our poop there's a lot 
<laughs> you almost said the words. <laughs> to Sydney Sayer, I know her. Gina Madison, Janet Sherrill, you owe me money. Chad Flint, Chris McLeod, I owe you money. Justin Kowalczyk, Rob Webb from Funbox Podcast. Good podcast. You should check it out. It's, 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 it's very yes. Christina Skelton and Jessica Bartolome. I believe they are from the Sisters Skelton Podcast. Yes. Yes, 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 yes. Here's good. Yeah, it's good. I heard the Sister Skeleton podcast is better, though. Well, they they, they have not had Yuri on show yet. That's my point. So, to be honest, I'm kind of hurt. Oh. It's, it's fine. <sighs> Moving on. <laughs> to Maria Gibbs, to Chainsaw. What the fuck? Jigsaw, Rick Resler, Courtney Batchelor, Katie Brabinick, and Bill Birch. Oh, good for you! What is that? That was me being aggressive. You sound like you hurt yourself. <laughs> kind of. Are you okay? Yeah. Okay. I, I uh, need to take space rope and go now. Okay, bye! <laughs> Thanks, Yuri. So spread the word, and if you want your name to be mentioned on the show and for us to just be completely forever grateful and probably screw it all up, yeah. because that's kind of what we do. Especially Listen. Bill. <laughs> 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 become a Patreon producer. Become a first class, baby. Get on it. But listen, we just really appreciate the fact that you even listen to our goofy asses oh, uh, yeah. on, on, you know, on a weekly basis. You engage with us online, and it means the world to us. All oh, right? yeah. I love being called an idiot on a daily basis. <laughs> oh, she didn't call you an idiot. No, I know. but that was, I, was, I did. I call myself that oh, all the okay. time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, I, I'm saying I said she said that. I was just kidding. Oh. I said she says she says she says by the seashore. Does she? She does not. Oh, I would say we can partner up with that, you know. <laughs> so listen, do us a favor. Stay safe out there, passengers. And as always, a choo-choo, motherfucker. No, it's more like choo-choo, motherfucker. I like that. Do that then. Choo-choo, motherfucker. No, that was really bad. <laughs> oh, boy. I'll go home and get your fucking shine box. Not very good. The others prevented the researchers from looking inside by pasting uh, torn book pages. Pa- pasting. <laughs> Past- <laughs> it's, I didn't, I, I, that's how you spell pasting. Okay, sorry. Sorry. <laughs> sorry, sorry. sorry. You're just going to let me go right past yeah, that. Well, so you just, yeah, totally. Now I'm going to say a fucking word about it. All right. All right. Uh, sorry. <laughs>